I mean, what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So, Who cares about what people think about us? Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Pelizzolo here with Sam Monson going through all of the Week 10 action. That was a better intro. What was the... the up and down and I don't know. Uh-huh. Just I'm in a slump. <laughs> Sometimes you're in I'm like, you know, Mahomes was in a slump for a few weeks. You got the intro and outro yips. I do. Just can't just can't hit it. Can't dial it in. Can we do yeah, we're live. Yeah. Anyway, we're going through all the games. Uh you ready to go? Yeah. How you doing? Good. You? Yeah, great. Excellent. Nice little haircut there. Yeah. Got a little trim. Yeah. Went to Liz. Uh-huh. Got a trim. I saw Katie. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, must be we old. don't make eye contact no. anymore. I mean, she did way worse than this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Liz at least did this one on purpose. <laughs> so if, it's, if she screwed up, it's on me. That's true. Uh, anyway, uh, we talked about the Thursday night game. Sometimes we do. We did talk about it on the daily on Friday, the crazy Dolphins win 22-10 to 10 over the Baltimore Ravens. Best play in NFL football history. They didn't count. That didn't count. The Robert Hunt play. Um, and just talking about the Ravens and what to do in the AFC North. But high level, the NFL right now is just wide open, huh? I mean, everything Nothing the last few weeks. Yeah. Nothing makes sense. Anybody can beat anybody. Nobody's good. It's Nobody's it's, great. I'm there's a lot of good, not great. It's just, it's madness top to bottom. Yeah, there's usually a point in the season where you start to separate, right? You yeah. Teams start to separate, and it's actually gone the opposite way. It was like teams were separated early, and now, I don't know, everybody's just moving. Everybody's close. Everybody's close, AFC and NFC. Despite, like, every week there's, like, five or six games with a double-digit point spread. Right, and it still doesn't matter. And then they all equalize anyway. And we had a tie this week. Yes. We'll always, always love a good tie. So let's get into uh, let's get into all the games. Uh, let's start with in the where do you want to go? Do you want to start anywhere in particular? No, no, no. on you go. Uh, in the order I have them in ultimate, it is the exciting Cowboys forty to three game, forty three to three game. Perfect. <laughs> Cowboys forty three, Falcons three. My Falcons let me down again. Soon as you start to believe in the Falcons, Eric was on board as well. I was like, we need to just stop betting on the Falcons, yeah. like ever. From now on, there are no bets that go on the Falcons because it, it comes back to haunt you. Despite. It's just, it's just not worth doing. And it, it's not a coach thing. It wasn't like, well, this was a Dan Quinn thing. This is a, it's a Falcons thing. Arthur Smith is there. It doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. They're, this is uh, inherent in the organization. It is not a product of any individual. It's just some kind of taint on the team. This is, this is what makes the NFL so tough to figure out, right? Because... If this had happened last week, you would say, oh, of course. I mean, Cowboys are trending in the right direction. Right. They even won a game with a backup. Their, their defense is, is unbelievable in recent weeks and stepping up and forcing turnovers and all this stuff, right? It made sense if this was a week ago. Mm-hmm. 
what last week happened when they were, you know, they essentially lost 30 to nothing to the Broncos before two garbage time touchdowns, right? So they were losing 30 to nothing to the Broncos last week at home. Doesn't make any sense. No. And, and the thing is, so this week for me, there were a ton of games where weird things happened early and it completely determined the course the game was going to go. And it's like, for all the logic and dissecting and analysis we do of football, it is still such an incredibly random game that is driven, you know, we're, like we, the critical numbers in betting and point spreads, it's like three points, you know, a field goal, seven points, a touchdown, any one of which, and, you know, beyond that, these double-digit point spreads, we're like, this is a blowout game, two scores, you know what I mean? Yeah. And those can happen in two plays immediately, right at the start, and all of a sudden the game is completely different to the way it was supposed to go. Two teams that were relatively even, evenly matched, one of them can find themselves double digits down after a couple of plays, and all of a sudden the game is just, it's just not the same. So in this game, the Cowboys come out and... Um, like first play is a nice bubble screen or whatever to CD Lamb. Like the next play, Dak Prescott almost throws a pick six. Like literally threw it right to the, the, pick the DB, broke on it, made a play. If he catches that, he's going all the way back to the to the end zone. It's a score. Um, either the next play or like one of the next couple of throws, he's high and late to the flat. It's not quite as risky, but you know could easily have been uh, a real problem. So all of it, you're like right at the start, ooh, Dak, Dak's starting this game the way he started the last game or the way he played the last game. This could be trouble. Then eventually, because he doesn't get punished for the, either of those, they score on that drive. And from that point on, it was like, all right, now the, the Cowboys are in rhythm. Atlanta couldn't get anything done. But it's just like how much would that game have been different if it had started with a pick six right. and Atlanta go ahead? rather than Dallas score a touchdown on that drive instead. Like, just the fine margins. I mean, and this... Maybe it only would have been 35 to 10. Maybe. Or maybe, you know, this was a game where Atlanta would have carried on rolling and Dallas would have been in this funk for the whole game again. But it just... This was one of a number of games this week where it felt like the start of the game sort of completely determined where how it was going to go. Yeah, I mean, it definitely had a, a huge impact. Then you just saw C.D. Lamb take over in the red zone, two touchdowns. Uh, you know, one was a beautiful throw by Dak, you know, right along the sideline. Another one where CD really winning at the catch point in the end zone. Saw Michael Gallup come back with three catches for 42 yards. Really watch the Cowboys offense, you know, do what they what they have been doing, you know, for the majority of the season before the before the Denver game. Spread the ball around, playmakers all over the field, and you know, whoever the open guy is. They had they had four guys with over 40 yards, including Tony Pollard coming out of the backfield. Um, so other than those those first couple throws, Dak played a really clean game. And then, you know, on the other side, every time – the reason why we're talking about the Falcons kind of um, breaking my heart here, Sam, mm. it does feel like they they start to find a rhythm. You see what they're able to do with Cordell Patterson and uh, with Kyle Pitts. And, and then Matt Ryan had that stretch, right? We, we, we love to do this. Well, over the last four weeks, over the last three weeks. And Matt Ryan had been one of the better quarterbacks. He's got two games over 90, two other games over 80. Yesterday, a 46 grade after, you know, he started the season slow, had a bunch of games under 65. So he's just all over the place. Matt Ryan, early in the season, this is like the narrative stuff, right? Early in the season, Matt Ryan looked like, oh, he's a little old, he's losing it, and then he bounces back. And now back to really struggling again, and the Cowboys took advantage. They had two interceptions, and then one of Josh Rosen as well. 
in relief. <laughs> Just for uh, for you gotta love Josh Rosen, you know the guy toiling away, still clinging onto a roster. Eventually gets in the game late in garbage time, still finds it in him to to throw the ball away. One for six, one for six with a pick. (laughs) This so the other interesting thing of this game is Dallas actually did a pretty good job of hiding Terrence Steele. Like they got passes were coming out quick. There were a ton of bubble screens all day long. This was your key to the game. I know, and and actually it ended up going in the opposite direction. so they did a good job of hiding him. They had a lot of uh, help as well, tight ends, ship locks, all those kinds of things. So Steele actually wasn't a factor at all. Also, by the way, as much as they hit him, like Atlanta's pass rush was wretched. Like Dante Fowler, okay, you've been an underachieving, you know, high pick for your entire career. You had the one big year based because Aaron Donald was next to you. This was a pretty bad indictment. Like, if you can't beat up Terrence Steele one-on-one when you get those opportunities, what are you even doing here? This is what I was saying. So Atlanta couldn't capitalize that. And then on the other side, despite Dallas, like, missing all of their defensive ends, how much of a boost or just a bonus to that defense is it to know that whenever you run out of edge rushers, you can just kick Micah Parsons down to the D-line and watch him absolutely wreck a right tackle for an entire game. Fantastic. So that ended up being like the one-on-one matchup that actually had a huge impact in the game. Parsons goes down and just beats the crap out of Caleb McGarry at right tackle consistently all game long. And that was like a genuine thorn in the in the side of the offense of Atlanta yeah I think you know Parsons there's really not a lot of uh, NFL players like him you know when, when I when he came out just to you know remember what happened during draft season I always I always like to make the point that a linebacker in a 3-4 like an outside linebacker is not really a linebacker right that's an edge rusher and very rarely do you actually take a linebacker and have him rush the passer. I mean, literally a handful of times over the last 10 years do you see guys actually make that transition. Dante Hightower was the one that I kept bringing up that the Patriots used because by out of necessity, same thing, right? Sometimes they would drop him down to become an edge rusher, and he could at least hold his own because it's a completely different skill set. Well, Parsons can legitimately do both. And, you know, and when even- Demarcus Lawrence is healthy— all of a sudden, yeah, the Cowboys have a ton of weapons up front as far as rushing the passer goes. And we've seen some players kind of have a split role, you know, since certainly since PFF has been grading. But it's never really been a genuine sort of we can put him in either position depending on where we need it. Like, remember when Von Miller at the start of his career would play like two downs as an off-the-ball linebacker and then kick down to rush the passer on third downs. And there were because of that, there were situations where like a team like the Patriots could essentially determine where he was going to be yeah. and say, okay, we're just not going to, we're not going to let you rush the passer effectively. Um, but even Von Miller, it was like, at no point were you ever thinking, well, maybe, you but know. he was, that was like the old school Sam. That's what I mean. He was a so pass rusher. You were never going to be like, you were never going to go into a game saying we've had a couple of injuries at linebacker, so Von Miller is going to spend the entire game at linebacker as, right. a, as an off-the-ball guy and never be a factor in, as a pass rusher. Um, whereas Micah Parsons and the Cowboys – I mean, when they have all of their defensive ends healthy, they will genuinely just play him off the ball. He will almost never come down on the line of scrimmage and rush the passer. Um, and then you have a game like this where you run out of all those guys. You're, you've got a huge amount of injuries there. And all of a sudden, Parsons basically doesn't play linebacker. Like, you're now playing defensive end for this game. I, I don't remember a player that's been able to do that in the last 15 years. Legitimately, yeah. Seriously. It's like... I, I, I know there have been weapon. players that have swapped between the two right. and been okay either side, but I, I cannot think of a player that's been able to do both at the same time and essentially week to week could play different positions like that. 
I want to bring a little context to uh, Trevon Diggs having another interception. Uh-oh. When you watch the play, as I'm re-watching it, yeah. uh, there's a little bit of pressure uh-huh. on Matt Ryan. Trevon Diggs is actually beaten on the play by Kyle Pitts. Yeah. Um, Kyle Pitts has, uh, has leverage on the out route. He's open. The other thing that's happening here is the jet motion receiver is wide open down the sideline. So Matt Ryan has essentially three options here, okay? <laughs> He's under pressure. You should Granted. draw it up as one of those, you know, which did, what did Ryan do? So you have A, the jet sweep receiver is open for probably a 60-yarder. Okay. You have, That's a pretty good A. You have Kyle Pitts open for probably 15, good 15-yard gain uh-huh. on Trevon Diggs. Or you have Trevon Diggs open for an interception. Trevon Diggs open. Yeah. Now, remind me, he plays for the opposite Diggs team. is on the Cowboys. Okay. So you've got two open Falcons for big gains, and you have a Cowboy defender. Okay. And Matt Ryan, he didn't choose. He was kind of forced off his – he wasn't even forced off his spot. He's just kind of like leaning away. Not a full – he's not a Jameis throw. No. Or a Josh Allen throw. I don't think he has the uh, flexibility just, for Jameis. He's just fading away just a little bit. His accuracy is affected. This is a good example. The pressure, pressure made this play here, actually. Um, anyway, the Trevon Diggs interception, he was, he was beaten on that. But the dude has been a magnet for footballs. And uh, he goes up and, and makes the catch. So it's just an example where Matt Ryan was off. I mean, th- it was already 36 to 3 at this point, but this was like the, the final nail for the, uh, for the Falcons in this game. But uh, Diggs got the interception and keeping that hype high. It was, it was a fun matchup, though. Like Diggs and, uh, Diggs and Kyle Pitts were one on one a few times in the game. Yeah. Um, Diggs gave up three out of the eight first downs in coverage that the uh, that the Cowboys gave up. Which, again, though, just kind of shows um, how it shows the kind of attention that Kyle Pitts is drawing. Like, he's getting number one cornerbacks uh, one-on-one in man coverage against, you know, teams like Dallas and everybody else. Like, he is he's just a fascinating player in, at this point. The guys who did perform well for Dallas, though, Jordan Lewis, you mentioned Micah Parsons, Jordan Lewis and Anthony Brown, top coverage grades coming out of there for the, uh, for the Cowboys. And uh, just a very impressive all-around win. And uh, like you said, the, the Micah Parsons factor, what he's able to do, uh, you know, lining up all over the place, incredible pass rush grade, even, even on just like a handful of rushes. But he just, the guy can do it all. I'm only, uh, I'm only seeing that interception now in the, on the All-22. Is that, is that a coverage bust from Diggs on the guy running the, the jet motion? Like, is that cover it, three and he's just not? It could be. Because if, if it is, that's incredible. I mean, it's one thing to be beaten by be. the out route and get the ball thrown right to you. It's another thing to be beaten on the out route, which is the thing you went to, ignoring the route going over yeah. your coverage. I'm assuming somebody else is carrying that. The jet motion throws something off in the coverage. Dallas never adjusts. They don't so, have enough guys in coverage. I mean, so, they have three deep, three shallow, and then like everyone else is rushing the passer. Uh, it's Chauncey Golston. Uh, getting the pressure up front for the Cowboys, so you credit him. It's one of those. It, it is one of those plays where I think the pass rush helps the sure. coverage unit, um, but it also shows just how dependent defenses are on big plays. Sometimes, I mean, this is the difference between a sixty-yard touchdown and a in, in an interception is largely just on Matt Ryan in his accuracy, in his yeah. ability to handle that pressure that's that's getting into his face. It's not. He's not like he's getting hit or anything like that. Anyway, by the way, the one the one thing. I mean, this is that's been a, a a lot of like, you know, hey, Trayvon Diggs is quite lucky. The one thing that is consistent with him is like that dude can catch. 
He's got great Because that ball's actually, yeah. it's so off that it's actually going not just behind Kyle Pitts, but it's going behind Diggs. Yeah. Like, he has to catch it back here and ends up snagging it out of the air, he has, catching it clean. He catches, like, the back half of the ball. I don't know if he has any dropped interceptions or anything like that, but it right. does feel like when he has opportunities, he takes advantage. Again, whether it's popped up, whether it's, um, what was it, the, the pick six that he had against Philadelphia, just being able to, like, right. stick it in his hands. I mean, he looks like a legitimate receiver out there yeah. defensively. And this and, is why, like, as much as it's, hey, his luck will come back down to earth at some point, like, at some stage, you're not going to get a sequence of Matt Ryan throwing him the ball. On the other hand, it, I think it is a very real thing that if the ball is catchable in his coverage, he's got a pretty good chance of making a play on it. Yes, and, and look, it, it, it's kind of an age-old question, right? Would you rather have a right. defensive back who's not perfect in coverage, is going to give it up, or... A guy, but he's also going to turn it over. Right. I mean, it, it is a big difference. You can't say that about every corner, right? There are a lot of corners where you're like, you know what? Even if the ball is very catchable in this guy's area, I mean, there's a pretty good chance he's not catching it. Yeah. Whereas Diggs, if the ball is catchable anywhere near him, there's a reasonable risk that he will pick it off. I mean, that is whatever about how much he's giving up and the bad plays um, offsetting some of the good, like that is a very real plus in his in his uh you know advantages column the pros column of his play all right so dallas 43 atlanta three dallas back on top after uh after a rough week really good bounce back dallas has averaged uh, 31.6 points per game now that's highest in the nfl dangerous offense uh as we expected in a good bounce back game for the cowboys we did none of our uh, like housekeeping up front your intro was butchered so badly we just we glossed right over all the uh, we don't do housekeeping on review we don't do housekeeping Not a we have to we gotta like first start we have to push people to email us right because that yeah. doesn't happen by itself you have to remind people true so email us ideas stories um questions for our wednesday show in particular uh also new charity ideas because we're finally getting around to actually doing this one so we're going to need the next one trying to knock it out this week yeah in theory we'll be doing the the baseball thing later this week so email us nfl podcast singular at pff.com that's the email address send us all of your uh, ideas all those kinds of things in theory we shall be doing the baseball thing later this week so this is our uh, our um display bat this is not the real one because it's wood and fancy and we don't want to wreck it we will not wreck that no. but this was sent to us by the good people at stinger um which has the pff logo whoop, there and the best friends animal society logo over here um and the best friends animal society colors so i don't know what we're going to do this but this is a cool little display thing that we have um in theory later this week we will be using the metal stinger bat yeah and that won't break probably i wouldn't have thought so you will be pitching at me. I will be... At the catcher, at the target. Sure. Yeah. I will be hitting one of these balls, uh, and that will be our charity thing. You're yeah. apparently sourcing some sort of catching person who will bring a bunch of padding so that I can also take a pass or take a ball yeah, I'm as still a catcher. Working to confirm that. Still working on that? Yeah. Okay. That's quite an important part of this. No, I know. We definitely need, need to a, do something there. We need a catcher. But in theory, yeah. we're just going to find some kind of diamond, go there, rock up, uh, do it, record it so that we can prove to people that we did it yeah. and haven't scammed you out of money for charity. It's going to be great. Uh, and then that'll be all done. I, having done a couple of sessions at the batting cage, which must bring my all-time lifetime tally of swings up to like 50 at this point, 
I'm reasonably confident that I can connect on a ball. I don't think I'm going to swing 10 times and hit nothing. Okay. I don't. I don't think it's going to happen. I, look, what, what I lose in you know, the speed, I'm assuming, will be faster than the machine because otherwise you need to take a good hard look at yourself. So the speed, I would assume, will be quicker. The movement, I would anticipate, also being more, whether or not, you, whether or not that's by design or just, you know, rust. Uh, but what I lose in those things, I think I gain back in seeing it coming. Like, the, the machine is tricky because it just disappears and you have no idea when the hell the ball's you coming out. You have no idea how tough it is to get, see the ball out of my hand. But I, I at least get to see the giant six foot ten wind up coming. Like I've got a right. rough idea when it's coming. Wait till I start varying the speed of my motion, and oh, but you don't want to see my sidearm fastball. I mean, if I break out the sidearm fastball, you might be uh, you might be in trouble. Why? What happens with that one? So my arm is like way over here, uh-huh. which is like where you're standing. So yeah. it looks like the ball is going to be my hand is coming right at you, but the ball is going to be coming out this way, and then it's going to move back. To you, so it's like a whole yeah. The movement thing, mess. I don't, I don't like the idea of that. Feels yeah. Like the ball problem. moves a lot. My yeah. ball moves a lot. I don't like that. If you could, if you could find your way clear to just putting it somewhere where it goes in a straight line, that'd be great. Yeah, it's. Uh, I don't throw straight, straight balls all that well. Great. Not a very good BP. Outstanding. People were, uh, people were sort of, people in the office, were concerned about. They were like, oh no, once he, once he. Uh, once there's some movement there, you'll be like spooked off the plate. It's like, no, like I have this until I get hit with one. I have this like childlike naivete about, you know, there's no fear, right? Because yeah. I've yet to be hit by a baseball. So like my daughter got stung by a wasp for the first time in her life the other day. She's okay. eight. And at no point in her life has ever been even remotely concerned by wasps. Got stung. And now like as soon as she sees one, freaks, Right that's where i am with baseball i have yet to be hit by a ball therefore there's nothing you can throw in my direction that will concern me really, until it beans me in the head i really hope that's still the case after this week <laughs> i really do <laughs> well the good thing is even if it isn't you know how how many times am i gonna go baseballing again i don't know maybe next time i would assume not be, many this could be an annual event no i'm just saying that like until like, like I, rich eisen running yeah, 40 until i catch a ball in the ribs i'm unlikely to be concerned by whatever you throw in my direction yeah, if I was going to hit you, it would probably be in the ribs, actually. So, yeah. are you ready to move on? The one other housekeeping item is uh, 25% off of the NFL pod. Yes. There it is. Promo code NFL pod. The games will be coming in as we speak throughout this podcast. But also, by the way, since this is still live, go and donate. My pinned tweet uh, goes to stop pets being destroyed. We will be doing it this week. I th- would say the video probably goes up sometime on next week's show, maybe. Depends how good yeah, we'll Tyler is. We'll see if we get some like, social media footage or something. Yeah, yeah. Like, well, I don't know what we're doing with it all. But anyway, there will be proof somewhere. And then there will be still more opportunities to do- donate money and reward me for catching a wayward pitch in the ribs. Let me double check on the catcher. Oh, God. Um, I was going to go Jags-Colts next. Go okay. Jags-Colts? Yeah, yeah. So Colts when this jumped out to 17 to nothing in like two minutes. Yes. Um, and when you watch the start of this game, it's like, oh, look, that Colts offensive line is still rolling. They were absolutely demolishing the Jags' defensive front. Jonathan Taylor continues having a big game. You're like, oh, wow, this game is going to be an absolute walkover. This is going to be another one of those um, Denver-Dallas games. It's just going to be domination start to finish. And then you look up, and it's like, hang on. The Colts have stopped scoring, and the game isn't getting any further away. And actually, there's a, a Jamal Agnew run past the entire defense, and all of a sudden the Jags have like pegged this close again. Like, what is happening in this game? 
Jamal Agnew is one of the more fascinating players in the NFL this year. You know, he 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 went to San Diego. He's 5'10", 190. He's kind of a he's like a running back wide receiver hybrid. That the I mean, this is what maybe what the Jags wanted to do with Travis Etienne, but he's he's running so he's got a 66 yard touchdown run, but he's also been like one of the top targets for Trevor Lawrence. He gets open. He's got speed. He's he's been a very good returner through the years. He's hardly done anything offensively until you know this year really. But you know he'll get open. His ball skills are just horrible as far as actually catching the ball. But he gets open and you know does all these other you know he creates these big play opportunities. He's got four drops on twenty seven catchable targets this year. Just a fascinating player because he feels like a guy that would be a, a really nice weapon when you have two or three weapons above him, when you have two or three actual legitimate receivers above him, um, because he's got he's just got big playability every single week. But, man, the uh, four drops over the last two weeks uh, really hurt. And then other times he just loses at the catch point. So um, it's just an interesting player. But I think when you're trying to evaluate Trevor Lawrence, I mean, this is, this is who he's throwing to, right? He's throwing to a running back wide receiver hybrid in Agnew, He's got Marvin Jones, who's been always a little streaky, hit or miss. There are some games where, where Jones is fantastic. Laquan Treadwell, LaVisca Chenault. This, this group of pass catchers just has not been good, has been banged up and, uh, by injuries and everything. And then, you know, Trevor Lawrence also continues to just not take care of the ball. The Jags offense, uh, just not good, man. Just not good overall. If you take away the 66-yard touchdown from Agnew, they're not doing much. Yeah. against this Colts defense. Yeah. And Lawrence had two turnover-worthy plays. One tries to throw it away along the sideline, pretty much gets eh, – was almost intercepted try, uh, just by trying to throw it away, ends up keeping it in, in, in the field. And then he fumbles in a comeback attempt while they're down three uh, – down six. So the – you know, Lawrence, can, he's, he's had these opportunities to kind of like have his big moment, make his big comeback in this game, and just just wasn't having it. I still don't quite understand why the Colts weren't able to just control this game, running the ball, and never risk the pass. (laughs) When you look at what happened, they had uh, four out of their five offensive linemen graded well in the run game. Um, Quentin Nelson was the only guy that didn't. And Quentin Nelson, as much as he didn't grade particularly well, was responsible for a touchdown where uh, Jonathan Taylor ran into a brick wall, was stalled at like the two-yard line, Quentin Nelson just grabs hold of him like a latch, like rugby, and drives him over the line from like two yards away. And you're like, okay, great, touchdown. Um, which, by the way, like, remember a couple of weeks ago, somebody got pinged for hitting a guy when the officials claimed that his forward progress has been stopped. Yeah. If you're allowed to do this, i.e. Taylor's been like stalled for a, a clear second or so, and then Quentin Nelson just grabs hold of him and creates a rolling mall and drives him over the goal line for a touchdown. You cannot ever penalize a defender for hitting like a stalled running back or a stalled pile. You can't because they don't know when you're going to determine that's that's enough or when you're going to let it play out and they score a touchdown because you didn't make that hit. You have to let them play. Um, So anyway, the offensive line is dominating. Taylor's got these giant run lanes to go through. But in pass protection, it's the opposite story. Quentin Nelson had a pass blocking grade of 14. Ryan Kelly had one of 34. Carson Wentz has this perpetual, like, inability to understand when a play is dead and, like, is, is a constant threat 
to throw the ball right to a defender in the grasp of a, a tackler. Um, why are you passing it ever? Yeah, I mean the, the the Jags pass rush was was pretty legit. I mean, so that so to your point, I mean they uh, that is like the one the one thing that Jaguars have done well in recent weeks is actually get you know they got after Josh Allen pretty well, whether it was unblocked pressure or just winning up front. It did seem like the Colts did have the run game advantage and, and got away with it a little bit. Carson Wentz continues to in the grasp put the ball from his right hand to his left hand and throw it up. <laughs> Why? <laughs> it almost worked yesterday for a first down. It was third and three, and he yeah. picked up two on his on his left-handed pass. And then he had another one that was like a right-handed weird shovel thing. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Which I, he missed. Yeah. I, I mean, I said this. I don't know if I've ever seen a player with a less firm understanding of when a play is, is over. Like, just eat it. It's I mean, done. Most, most players, like, when, when there's a trend here, when Carson – you would think if Carson Wentz, after being in the end zone and throwing a pick six – yeah. Why, but because he shoveled it lefty, you would be, you'd think he'd be like, all right, that's never happening again. I will never make that mistake again. He doubled down. He's like, no, we're going to do it. We're going to do it multiple times. We're going to do it multiple times this I, week. But this is like the, it's like the Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen stuff, except with, with not anything like the same amount of upside. It's like, this is who they are. Like, this is the kind of player he is. And when it goes well, this is the stuff where you're like, yeah, you see, most quarterbacks can't do that, you know? Like you're not gonna find, you're not gonna find Teddy Bridgewater fighting his way out of out of uh, contact and shoveling a pass and keeping the play alive. Like and Roethlisberger, same. You're thing. not gonna see Teddy Bridgewater anywhere near contact, to be no. honest. God no, Teddy's not going anywhere near that. Wants no <laughs> part of that smoke. But like Roethlisberger early in his career, right? Like that was his defining characteristic: bodies hanging off him and him still fighting through and getting rid of the ball somehow. And it's not a sack. And that that's Wentz now. But it's like. Yeah, but where is our where's our net here, right? You have let's say you have 50 of these plays. What is our net EPA here? Like are you actually providing value with this fighting through contact service that you're you're providing to the offense because I would suggest you're not right now. And if you're not, you should probably never do that again. Like just eat the play, take the sack, get rid of it, whatever you need to do, just stop getting yourself hurt. Yeah. I mean, that's the bigger thing. Like, forget, forget throwing it lefty to a linebacker for a pick six, right? Forget that that's even a factor. The fact that, like, five times a game, you are fighting through having a defensive end, like, hogtie you from behind is probably not a good thing for your long-term survivability at this position. You have quite yeah, you have no an, protection when you're going to the ground. Right, and you have quite an extensive history at this point of breaking, Right. If anybody needs to adjust the way they're playing to stop taking unnecessary hits, it's you. So Carson Wentz, start protecting yourself. Colts come away with the win. They're 5-5. Five and five. The one thing I'll say for future Jags opponents, yeah, they beat, they beat the Bills last week, won 9-6. The pass rush is, is getting better. Pass rush to get Taven Bryan's playing well, creating pressure finally. I mean, the, if, if Josh one, Allen, the first of his name. Yeah, the, the real Josh Allen. The uh, Jaguars' Josh Allen. Notice the Bills' Josh Allen when he's in a different place. Well, he doesn't have to face Josh Allen. Yeah, as the Jags' Josh Allen. You know, the the QB Josh Allen just balls out. Yeah. Anyway, if if Trevor Lawrence can start, you know, taking care of the ball a little bit better. At what what point do you get worried about Trevor Lawrence? 
I'm already a little worried. No, oh, little. I'm, okay. I'm a little worried. Not that like he won't be good ever. I mean, again, we've had we've seen quarterbacks have okay rookie seasons, below average rookie seasons, and then be okay and be be good. But the point with Trevor Lawrence is he's supposed to have this ceiling, and so he's just he's below my current expectations because yeah. my current expectations were the Andrew Luck comparison I kept making, which was not perfection, but was a lot of highs and a lot of lows. And to me, the lows have just really outweighed the highs so far for Trevor Lawrence. And how much of that do you think is on him versus the situation? I think it's a little bit of both. I don't. I, I think. I, I think this entire offseason is going to be, you know, what Dallas did with Dak, what the Bills did with Josh Allen. It is yet as many. I mean, it needs to be. It ha- as many good pass catchers around there. So Jamal Agnew can be the the really cool number four option, not the guy that you're going to, you know. He only, Agnew had five targets yesterday. Didn't catch one. I mean, you you want him as a complimentary piece. LaVisca Chenault hasn't really developed like we were hoping. And, uh, and but again, Jones he's being asked little... to be like something higher than he should be, right? It's like all of a sudden, yeah. LaVisca needs to be the number one receiver in this offense because there's nobody else doing it. So in an ideal world, LaVisca is like the number two who has run after the catch skills, who has like dynamic trick playability, all those kinds of things. But he's being asked to be, you know, go out there and be Randy Moss. Like that's just not yeah. who he is. And the same thing with Dan Arnold, like a high target right. tight end when he should be your he should be your third or fourth option, much like you know Jamal Agnew should be. So uh, they have a lot of work to do there. But when, uh, but Lawrence has to do a better job taking care of the ball. It was you know it seemed yeah. like he was doing that a few weeks ago, and he's reverted back to a lot of the early season stuff. Um, so. It feels like Jags games now have become um, like sad Urban Meyer porn. Like, you get the game, it's going away, it's going south, and the camera just lingers on Urban on the sideline at all times. It's like, yeah. it's like they know. there's we, we got some gold coming here. Like, just give it a second, we'll get a sad face. Don't ask like, for anything this week. That's the, the shot we want. You want new pens? or No, you, know, you had your chance. It was done. Computer paper, it's not happening. Nope. At the Jaguars' office this week. All right, we'll move on. In fact, you better hide the crap that he bought you last week in case he sends it back. Yeah, seriously. A lot of returns happening this week. we got to introduce a new NFL podcast sponsor. It is X-Chair. Loving the X-Chair. Working from home is more important now than ever. Optimize your home office with X-Chair and our many accessories, Sam, to enhance your focus, productivity, energy, and comfort. I got mine set up at the house. Got the uh, massage feature, a little hot. Like, I need the heating feature right now. You my, need uh, it? Yeah. Well, my office gets a little cold sometimes. Oh. So I use the heating feature. I use the massage feature. It's all part of their dynamic variable lumbar or DVL, which uh, just takes care of you, man. It adds energy and the whole thing like my old fighting necklaces. Don't, don't compare them to your fighting necklaces. Those work. They These, both work. No, look, stop it. Stop comparing the X-Chair to your snake oil crap. Like, the X-Chair is actually legit. It's an awesome chair. It has, like, the, the massage thing is really useful when you're sitting your ass in the chair for, like, eight hours in a day, yes. which PFF people That's tend us. to do. And, you know, we're not alone. Thankfully, in this world, there are other people that have to suffer through eight hours in a chair as well. And if you're one of those people, the massage thing and the heat and cold stuff is actually really, really useful. It is not the same as your snake oil necklaces that you thought were going to add like four miles an hour to your pitch. If I bust one of those out this week, you're in trouble. Don't put that evil on it's, the X-Chair people. It's all in the LMX massage, massage and temperature regu- regulation, exclusively designed and made for X-Chair with versatile comfort and extraordinary design. X-Chair fits any space. High performance, quality engineering, extreme comfort. Those are all the reasons 
I love my X chair. So as Sam was saying, we work all day, every day at home other than when we're in here. So the X chair is taking care of us. Take our advice, take X chair for yourself, risk-free for 30 days. So go to xchairnflpod.com now. That's the letter X, chair, nflpod.com or call one 844 4 xchair for $100 off your order. It's X Chair. They have a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort, and you can finance your purchase for as little as $30 a month. It's XChairNFLPod.com. If you're watching on YouTube, check out the link in the description. 30-day free trial? Yeah, it's it's well worth it. Now you're cooking. And again, the, the, the biggest selling point that we had the other day is I put it together all by myself. It really is. Like, it, 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 it cannot be overstated. It's like four steps. The tools are right there. You, you, you twist some stuff, and yeah. it's, it's great. Like it's you get, Mine hasn't fallen apart. You get some things that roll up, and it's like some assembly required, right? And you're like, ah, oh, look, this is, this is beyond normal people. And by normal people, I mean people that can actually do these things. You are not normal people. You cannot do these things at all. Some assembly required, you're going to need the assistance of your kids or your wife, somebody that isn't you. Um, the fact that you were able to put this thing together is a massive selling point for how easy it is. You just spend half the pod making fun of me. Yeah. At some point. Yeah. I'm going to pitch baseballs at you. I know. And you're going to be sorry. No, no, no. Not no. Sorry will only happen once I catch one, remember? Like this is I The idea you would be sitting there and threatening to fire a baseball at me Ask means my nothing buddy to me Mike. right now. Ask my buddy Mike. 12-year-old little league all-stars what happens when I pitch to my friends. I hit him it was my side on fastball, actually, in the back twice <laughs> yeah. in the same practice. Uh, it's just, I, it I still literally has no effect on me yet. He still has a bruise. I mean, it will later, yeah. but now, nothing. He was, he was bailing from pitches for the next seven years of his life, couldn't mm-hmm. hit a curveball yeah. because of our 12-year-old year when I hit him in the back. There's literally nothing you can say to me that will concern me until I catch one of those in the, in the ribs. Patriots 45, Browns 7. Yeah. Talked about the Patriots and... Uh, you know, what to expect from them going forward on the PFF NFL Daily today. Uh, Patriots are hot right now. They've won four straight. They went from two and four to now six and four. And as the entire AFC has their question marks and, oh, the Chiefs are back. But, you know, every team's up and down and teams we thought were good are starting to lose and the whole thing. Patriots are lurking back in the playoff picture to up to six and four. And uh, Mac Jones the uh, as we're talking about Trevor Lawrence's rookie struggles with Mac Jones not missing throws and uh, making big time throws and just looking really really good in this game. Yeah, and this was the game we covered on the NFL Daily, so go listen to the the ten minute version of that. Um, but this was so. Remember the the Dallas game? You're like, what could have been? But for a couple of plays earlier in that game, right? If Dak Prescott had thrown the pick six, it, like that game could have been completely different if a couple of those plays had gone the other way early. This game. Like, the Browns actually started well. Yeah. Like they scored a touchdown on the first drive. It was a weird sequence, actually, because Baker basically throws a touchdown to Njoku, who allows it to be, like, knocked from his hands and then in the end zone, and then, like, had the temerity to turn around and be like, touchdown! <laughs> and I'm sure the official looked at that and was like, oh, it's definitely not complete There's now. There's no way. Like, whatever about where it should have been in, in all things being equal, if you have the balls to turn around and, like, look for the touchdown just because you couldn't hold on to it, no way we're given that. So, doesn't give the touchdown. Um, Baker then almost throws an interception in the end zone. They then go for it on the fourth down. Fourth and two. Right. Yeah. Get the touchdown. 
And you're like, oh, this is this is more evidence of the Browns, you know, doing smart things, going for those fourth down decisions, making it count. They get the the touchdown. And then from that point on, it was just a train wreck. Like Dearness Johnson was rolling in that first drive. They were dominating on the ground. And then from almost from that point onwards, everything went wrong for the Browns. Conversely, the Patriots were doing fantastically. They were able to neutralize the Browns' defensive line. Mac Jones, I think, took a real step in terms of proving where his upside lands. Not just I'm not just an Alex Smith game-managing style of quarterback. I can bring big plays to the table as well. And he threw some absolute dimes. And even, it wasn't like a high-volume game, but it was a really high-leverage game for him. Like, all of yeah. his best, like, they kept, putting him in situations where it's like third and six, third and eight, whatever. And every time it happened, Mac Jones delivered a strike exactly where it needed to be, kept the chains moving or threw a touchdown. Really impressive game from him. Yeah, after that opening drive, again, where the, the feeling – I think we mentioned it on the, the preview show too. It's like, all right, you've got Kevin Stefanski and, you know, going to go for it on fourth down. He's going to be aggressive. Belichick's been on the conservative side of that. Is that going to be a factor in this game? Well, it was a factor on the first drive. But the Patriots bounce back with a 15-play, 83-yard drive where Mac Jones uh, hits Hunter Henry for a three-yard touchdown. Uh, Browns start turning the ball over. Patriots get the one-play, five-yard drive. I mean, of course, the Browns scored a touchdown. They, they scored first, right? So yeah, it's Browns se- are up 7 nothing. 45 unanswered points from yes. that point on. 7 nothing, and then 7-45 at the but end of the game. It was those long drives that you said. There was the 15-play one and then 11-play 99-yard drive where Mac Jones has two big-time throws, including a seam route for Kendrick Bourne for a 23-yard touchdown. This Patriots offense, again, when you guys get uh, the pre- when premium stats, when the games get loaded up, you're going to see a ridiculous offense, overall offense grade for the Patriots, not just Mac Jones throwing the ball, even Brian Hoyer throwing the ball because he had 80-something yards on three passes in relief, but uh, the run-blocking grade, the rushing, like across the board, the Patriots just dominated offensively in this game. Yeah, I think right now Mac Jones is going to have the best PFF grade of any quarterback of the week. Um, I don't think not over... uh, no, probably not over Josh Allen, I don't think. Isn't it? I mean, it was the last time I did I just not refresh. It's close. It's going to be close with him and Josh Allen, I believe. Uh, it's not that close. Right now, it's a fairly significant... Oh, I've got a no place turned off. Yeah. What's that doing to me? Eh, whatever. Anyway. He is either the best-graded or second-best-graded quarterback in the NFL this week, um, even though it wasn't <clears throat> a high-volume game for him. Um, but the other thing is, once this game kind of got out of control and was just Patriots route, it was like they started checking off all the things, you know? what In a, in a dream blowout kind of game, what would we like to see on the stat sheet? It's like, well, we need one catch for Nikhil Harry. So Brian Hoyer comes out here, delivers a dime to Nikhil Harry, who makes a catch. We also, this would be the game to finally get that monkey off Jacoby Myers back and get him a receiving touchdown. So we get that, like... It's amazing finally. how badly this game went for the Browns. And Kobe Myers finally gets into the end zone. Yeah. Like, first time since, like, 2018 or something ridiculous. Yeah. Um, and then this game, so as much as the Patriots looked fantastic, Mac Jones was great. Ramondre Stevenson comes in. He get yeah. with all the injuries, uh, concussion protocol and everything that the Patriots had, he goes 20 for 100 yards and two scores. This was as bad as Baker Mayfield has ever looked. That's why I did, um, as, as we were getting into the preview show. Fresh like, off like one of his best games. Yeah. You know, liberated from OBJ. So now, 
um, I did say maybe maybe we shouldn't have overreacted to the OBJ stuff. I did mention that on Thursday going up against this Patriots defense. I didn't love that matchup for the Browns. And now, knowing what we've seen from the Jets and the Browns against the Bengals. what they So the Jets torched the Bengals, as did the Browns over these last two weeks. Perhaps it was... Uh, Perhaps it was more the Bengals' defense because both Mike White and the Jets, Baker Mayfield and the Browns, very much back down to earth now against uh, the AFC East powerhouses of the Buffalo Bills and the New England Patriots. Yeah, um, but the, the thing I think that was really – this was one of those games that Baker Mayfield shouldn't be having at this point in his career. Like, he was not great anyway from a sort of standard baseline, just throw-to-throw basis, but the turnover-worthy plays, the turnovers that he had were terrible. They weren't just like – there were throws that you just shouldn't be making at this point in your career. It's like, what are you attempting to do here? These are terrible. You're throwing into the leverage of defensive backs. They're bad decisions. They're bad accuracy. The one he tried to throw in the end zone, um, he has to know there's a guy there. Now, there's, there's enough bodies between him and the dude that you give him the, the benefit of the doubt that he just never saw him. But at some point, you have to know that when everybody's flowing in one direction, you stop. You try and hit a guy that's coming you know, with you. You're talking, so he's laid in the end zone, essentially throws it. I mean, you just yeah, don't throw a, it at that time. Everybody's flowing left. He pulls up and then tries to hit a guy that's also flowing left. But you know that the second you stop, somebody, there's a defender that stomps as well. Like, they're reading you. Um, and he basically throws it right to him, doesn't make the play. Then he throws it directly to Kyle Duggar on a play that was bad, even if it was accurate. Um, and so then, the, the Duggar play, you've got Kyle... Um, Kyle Duggar's in man coverage against David Njoku. They also have trap coverage on the outside from yeah. Jalen Mills. That pass would have been intercepted by either Duggar right. and or the tra- Mills. You and can, Duggar again, takes it back to the five. That leads to the five-yard Again, you can ball. kind of give him credit for the idea of, like, he never sees the trap, right? And sometimes that happens. That's why it's called trap coverage, right? So, essentially, when he looks at this play, he thinks that the cornerback is going to turn outside towards the receiver, outside release, and play man coverage and track him all the way down the sideline and is therefore effectively not in the play from his point of view, right? He's throwing to the inside slot receiver who's breaking out into that space that that receiver is clearing out. That's not what that corner does. He turns to the inside, sinks, and essentially keeps his eyes on Baker Mayfield the whole way. So if you want to give Baker credit, you are like, okay, it happens. Quarterbacks get trapped by trap coverage and you didn't see that guy. Even if you remove that corner from the equation and you say it went exactly the way Baker Mayfield read it, it would have been a pick. Like he threw it inside to the dude who was covering the guy he was going for. So it was bad again. And then the next one, like you're throwing to uh, Anthony Schwartz one-on-one against J.C. Jackson, who one is just significantly better than Anthony Schwartz, and two, you're throwing into Jackson's leverage. Like... what are you doing? Yeah, some bad decisions in there by Baker Mayfield, who comes out of the game. He said he's all banged up beyond just the shoulder. Everything's banged up. He's well, yeah, hurt. then he hurt his leg or whatever. Yeah. Case Keenum came in at the end. Um, but, yeah, it is – oh, man. It is inconsistent, to say the least, for Baker Mayfield week to week here. Um, and I don't know, you know, if last week the injury – the shoulder injury wasn't a concern. We can't necessarily blame that this week. But it's his, uh, he had a 49 grade back in week four. We're looking at a grade in the 30s here in this game where he just di- they just didn't have a shot. I'll tell you what, they could, they could use a nice uh, receiver that can separate against man coverage. I'll tell you that. 
And this must be maddening if you're the Browns front office. Yeah. Because you're like, this year was supposed to be the year that gave you clarity on Baker Mayfield. It was supposed to be a career year for him. And you could come out of that and you could kind of talk yourself into giving him the big contract. And at least the decision's made, right? (laughs) Even if it's the wrong decision and you end up handing him a Josh Allen, you know, kind of deal. And then 12 months time, you regret it. At least, you know. The decision was made for you. You didn't have to think about it too hard. Now you've had 10 weeks of chaos where he's injured. You don't know what's going on. Baker, uh, the OBJ thing hasn't worked out. You get rid of him. Last week, the first week without OBJ, Baker looks great. And you're like, oh, maybe this is it. Maybe we get nine more weeks of Baker playing at a pretty high level through a banged up shoulder. And you're like, great. We can convince ourselves he's worth a contract and we're good. No, the next week you get like the worst game of his career and you're back to what the hell is Baker Mayfield? Because he isn't as bad as this game, right? This was literally like the worst game you're ever going to see from him. But neither is he as good as last week where he's basically flawless in a, in a good situation within this offense. So they are back to basically having no earthly idea what they have at quarterback and running out of games to make the decision. The people are saying that Schwartz ran the wrong route. Yeah? What route I was mean, he supposed to run against? Presumably an out. I mean, it's tight man coverage. Either way, he wasn't separating. And also, either way, Baker if he didn't, right, if he didn't run the, the right route, it wasn't a miscommunication, though. It was, if he didn't run the right route, you shouldn't have thrown He also threw it under pressure, was about to get hit. Baker took that chance. Yeah, like the. J.C. Jackson should have picked it off. Anthony Schwartz got bodied. If we're talking about the right, if we're talking about the same play, if we're talking about another one where Schwartz ran the wrong route, we're not. We're not blaming Baker for that. <laughs> it's a corner route um, where Baker, like, it's entirely possible that Anthony Schwartz wasn't where he was supposed to be on the play. Presumably the YouTubers are talking about a different play. Possibly. If it is this play, though, like, it is a corner route where he gets bodied because the, cor- the corner has outside leverage on him, right? So he tries to cut back into the leverage of the cornerback and gets completely physically dominated at the catch point. That was, that was Schwartz's only target, so... So, like, yes, it's entirely possible he's not where he's supposed to be on that play. But the reason that's the case is because he gets dominated by a dude who has position on him all the way along. It's like, it's like a, uh, you know, a poorly positioned pass in basketball where the dude's just getting boxed out. It's like, okay, there's a degree to which that dude should be somewhere else. On the other hand, you can see that he's physically, do- like, physically outmatched by the guy beating him in the post. And putting the ball over here, is ne- he's never going to get to it. Yeah, so that was a rough one for Baker Mayfield. Uh, it's his worst grade since week six of last year. That was the time, that was the Steelers game where we came out of it with the same... Right, the sky is falling. The same level of disappointment. I mean, this is like... Look, I, when I'm disappointed in my kids, <laughs> I use a similar tone with mm. Baker. You know, I just I expected more from you, son. I'm not mad, I'm just disappointed. I'm just disappointed. I'm just saying, if you're the Browns, like this is worst case scenario. You... The, the waters are only getting muddier in terms of what you do at Baker Mayfield. Yeah. So Browns fall to 5-5. Five and five. Uh, They continue to be a bit of a roller coaster ride as their quarterback is. Patriots up to 6-4, and four, very much in the thick of this playoff picture and still just a half game behind the Buffalo Bills in the AFC East. Uh, before we get to the next game, gotta, i got to tell you, this is very important here. Breaking news. Manscaped has just launched... Just launched new products, including their all-new ultra-premium body wash in a two-in-one shampoo and conditioner. Pretty big-time news here. 
It's time to give yourself or someone who needs it the gift of beautiful skin, hair, and balls Mm. this holiday season. Go to manscaped.com and use code PFF for 20% off plus free shipping this week. Here's what's happening. We're going to give away multiple Performance Package 4.0s. That's right. We're going to give them away. All you have to do is rate and review the podcast. Leave your email and uh, or uh, or a social media handle if you don't want to give your email on our uh, on the reviews. Um, so leave leave some sort of contact information when you rate and review the podcast, and we'll choose winners at the end of the week. Inside the Performance Package 4.0, you'll find the signature Lawnmower 4.0, the electric trimmer that has proprietary advanced skin safe technology to reduce cuts on your nuts. It's also waterproof, so you can use it in the shower. There are no talking points about the snow or sleet, despite, you know, the snow in Green Bay and everything yesterday. They've cut out those talking points for some reason, but don't forget the snow's coming around and this thing's waterproof. Uh, They've also launched their new, as we we mentioned, the two-in-one shampoo and conditioner, which has key ingredients with benefits that include hydrating, nourishing, and conditioning the scalp and strengthening your hair at the same time. Tis the season to load up on Manscaped products, so get yourself, your dad, your brother, and friends the best gift of all time. It's the Manscaped Performance Package 4.0. So get 20% off and free shipping with the code PFF over at manscapes.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscapes.com. Use the code PFF. Clean up your nuts and make Santa proud this year. We're make getting Santa there. proud. We're getting there. You didn't know that was coming. I didn't. No, no. It's not even highlighted in yellow. It's not even a must read. Is that like a, uh, you know, the way Santa knows if you're naughty or nice? You know, you don't need to. They know. Is this just knows. once you once you do the once you shave the nuts, Santa? You don't have to like show them, you know, on Christmas night. No, Santa knows. Okay, Santa knows. <laughs> and uh, leave those reviews. You probably don't want to set like a whole sequence of like flashing Santa going. I mean, I'm not sure that's the campaign you want to set up. I mean, maybe but if just he knows confirms, once you've so done you get it. what you want. <laughs> oh gosh, we've exhausted it. Uh, leave those reviews. You get a free performance package 4.0 potentially over at uh, wherever you review our podcast. Which, I mean, legitimately, the the package that that they the package that Manscaped the provides performance package for your package yeah. is is an awesome thing to get. It's, it's, a good a, package. it's like a, a legitimately great Christmas gift. So, leave reviews, rate the podcast, get yourself something free. Buffalo Bills forty five, New York Jets seventeen. Make Santa proud. Make Santa proud. <laughs> no cuts on your nuts. Bills forty five to seventeen mm. over the Jets. The Bills are back, baby. Yeah. Yeah, all it took was a uh, all it took was Mike White trying to throw the ball to them fifty eight times. Yeah, Mike White. I mean, look, I don't want to over- look. We've we've got ourselves into trouble overreacting a lot this season. I don't want to overreact, but it's possible that Mike White was never that good. He was saying he wanted. He thought he should have been the number one overall pick a couple of years ago. Yeah, that's just him saying. I'm you know I'm confident in my abilities, which right. is cool. I mean, like I think I should have been drafted in one of the fifty rounds that I got passed over, and I was right. I was confident. Like I've, I should have at least been a 35th rounder. Yeah. I proved it. How? I mean, it's AAA. Above all the guys who got drafted above me. Like Michael Vick got drafted above me. What did he do in baseball? I mean, about as much as you did. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean? Well, how uh, many AAA hits did Michael Vick have? How many major league plays did either of you have? It's a long road, Sam, all right? It's a long road. And I was... I gave moral support in the major league. It feels twice. like this is an all-or-nothing proposition, right? Like you're not drafting people to stock up the minors, are you? You're well, actually, you people. are. I mean, it's actually you are. You're drafting people because you think this. We're guy, called roster fillers, Sam. You need oh somebody to fill out the roster. You're packing peanuts. Is that that what provides you're value. 
look, when the 2007 Instruction League Giants are going out there, going undefeated, and I'm a part of that team, yeah. and that lays the groundwork for the 2010 San Francisco Giants championships, I, I'm a part of that. You're packing peanuts. You are, you are the worthless pieces of polystyrene that protect the valuable thing in the box. I mean, somebody's got to take care of Buster Posey, you know? <laughs> somebody's got to groom him along the way. Oh, God. Anyway. Uh, Mike White should not have been the number one overall pick. No. I have been impressed with Mike White over these last couple weeks. Yeah, This was not a great game for him. Buffalo defense continues to be very, very good. Josh Allen back on track after scoring six points last week. The Bills, again, they score 45 with Josh Allen peppering the field with eight big-time throws. Eight? I mean, he averaged 13 yards per attempt. They, and so I think one of them was incomplete as well. So he was just dropping dimes down the field. Allen was awesome in this one. No checkdowns in this thing. No. Just downfield stuff. Uh, Stephon Diggs, uncoverable. Yes. Eight for 162. Gabriel Davis went over 100 yards. Josh Allen had eight big-time throws in that game. Zach Wilson has eight big-time throws on the season. And Zach Wilson is a guy that's supposed to bring big-time throws to the table. It's not like we're, you know. Just a rookie. I know, but like, all right. Pick another. Jacoby Brissett has eight big-time throws. Taylor Heineke has eight big-time throws in the season. Daniel Jones has seven big-time throws in the season. Jared Goff has seven before yesterday. Uh, I don't think he had another one, did he? Goff? <laughs> Based off memory of yesterday's game. I don't think so. Uh, so my point is, eight big-time throws in a single game is a crap ton. Yeah. The... Uh this game's live, too, over on Premium Stats. So if you guys have PFF Elite, you can go check out the grades. It is reviewed, and it's live. NFL Pod, you get that 25% off if you want to jump in right now. But uh, Bills, back to uh, establishing dominance, dominance, man. Over the Jets, yeah. Yeah, yeah over yeah. the Jets. Is there anything else to say about this particular football game? I mean, other than, yeah. So going, this was a week where... Both the offenses that had started to struggle because teams were playing them in a certain way got out of it. Now, we'll get to the Raiders-Chiefs game in a bit, but the Chiefs offense effectively got right last night. The Bills offense absolutely got right against the Jets. They had started to see a lot of that coverage, the too high stuff, where it was frustrating Josh Allen, making him uh, play the game in a more boring, conservative style, and kind of causing some issues. Um, the Bills' offense like just didn't care in this game, and were able to make all the big throws anyway. And like maybe the Jets just don't have the horses to cause the same level of frustration. But you wouldn't have thought the Jags did either. Um, so I mean, it, it's an important thing I think to just note that that was this was a hell of a get-right game for the Bills, even if it comes with the caveat of hey, it was the Jets, and you know Mike White kept throwing you the ball. Only eight of those two high looks. From the uh, from the Jets, right? And I think that is a like. Teams should probably look at that. You know, the two teams that the two teams that allowed those struggling offenses to get right this week both did not do the thing that everybody else has been doing to cause them problems. Maybe you should adopt that. Yeah, uh, Allen. I, like I said, Allen was was awesome. Put the ball in harm's way a couple times. Couple couple uh, poor plays in there, but overall, Josh Allen playing really really well. And uh, Bills are back. That, that all-around win, too, right? I mean, until Joe Flacco came in, the Jets couldn't do a whole lot. Until garbage time, really. Mike White a little bit in garbage time, and then Joe Flacco Joe coming Flacco. in in relief. Uh, the Bills uh, won this one pretty handily against the Jets. Uh, where else we want to go here? Let's go to the tie. Ugh. Ready for the tie? 
this was the most disgusting, depressing game of football in, of the entire season. Lions 16, Steelers 16. Neither team deserved to win. Like, a tie was the right result. Hence, hence the tie. Yes, a tie was absolutely the right result. The only tragedy is that that meant we all had to sit through overtime as well. That, that's my... Sometimes silence, right? Yeah, you, you on, a, on an audio medium, you think that's the, the winner? Yeah. Dead air? You embrace, it's, it's uncomfortable, as the podcasters say, sometimes. But uh, sometimes silence tells the story. Uh-huh. So I was going with that, silence telling the story. I should also see the camera more instead of turning away from it. You think? 5-3-1, and one, the Steelers fall to. They fall to, or do they just take a lateral step to? <laughs> and the Lions take a lateral step to 0-8-1. Dan no, Campbell Steph, gets his first non-loss. So for the, the Steelers, I think you can say, yeah, the, the, the Lions, they step forward. It's a half step. It's a stumble. So they, take, they step up to 0-8-1. They 08 stumble and one. upwards yeah. to, to, a, to a no longer... Uh, a no longer over season. Now it's over and a tie, yeah. so it's not like they got to win. But they are no longer capable of going zero and seventeen. Zero and sixteen still on the table. It is zero sixteen and one. Um, God, this was just depressing. Everything about this game was miserable. Uh, there was a point where what the Lions had more points than passing yards. Yeah. Um, so they did. Uh, they did pick up some big plays on the ground. They were trying to protect Jared Goff at all costs in this game. Once the weather got poor, there was there was just no way to protect him. Like he just can't complete a pass. It's like if you're this you're you're the football gods watching this game, right? You're like, this is terrible. What could make it worse? I'm gonna rewatch it. Let's throw it some tonight. weather in it. I'm gonna rewatch it again tonight. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. This might be when my five and six year old need a little bit of punishment. We Go might, watch this. We might fire up this game. Yeah. No, I'm just uh, Mason Rudolph got the start. Uh, Big Ben joined the COVID list late on Saturday night, so Mason Rudolph gets the emergency start. Presumably, they didn't know until Saturday, right? So that that right. thing showed up. He developed symptoms, so that's a little that's rough for Mason Rudolph to just have to start right away. But that's the nature of uh, of the backup QB. Yeah, uh, some untimely fumbles here, including, of course, Pat Fryer moved in overtime just to get into field goal range. The Lions missed a game winning field goal. Both teams had some opportunities to win this game, but nobody wanted to take the opportunity to, to actually seal the deal and win it. So it ends in a tie, and I don't have much else to say about this football game. Horrendous kick attempt to, to win it in overtime. Uh, I don't even know what... You know, okay, one, one glimmer of optimism. Um, the Lions played Penesul at right tackle for the first time uh, with Taylor Decker returning from injury and given what we'd seen in preseason that had the potential to be an absolute train wreck particularly Mm -hmm. when you were going to be going one-on-one a lot with tj watt who's now hurt yes so obviously that helped right the fact that tj watt's knee buckled inwards at one point and he uh missed some time but penesu graded well yeah um had an overall grade of like in the 70s but was better as a pass blocker than than run blocking like, that was encouraging. I mean, the, you wouldn't have liked to have seen Penesu go to right tackle, get absolutely ripped to shreds by T.J. Watt, and then you're coming out of that game uh, and you're unsure about whether this is wise to sort of suffer through the growing pains at right tackle, knowing that in the future you'll therefore have two good tackles, right? Coming out of this, you can at least be like, all right, 
It looks like he can hang at right tackle as well as left tackle. It wasn't the train wreck that it was in preseason. We can go somewhere now. So good for Panay. That was good. Yeah, um, that's about all I got. We've seen Goff in rain games. I mean, I'll never forget as a true freshman at Cal, he played in a rain game at Oregon, and he could – I think he fumbled like four or five times. He could not even grip the football. And as much as I, I've, I've expected Jared Goff to have a little bit better season, I'll, the point I just wanted to make – and last year, I think he play, I think it was last year against Washington, they played an okay game in the rain where he had to, he had to do the pie throw play. Remember the pie throw? Mm. The ball was like resting on his little hand, and then he – Philip Rivers shot put it up and actually got it onto to, to Robert Woods. But there's like a game or two per year where Jared Goff just just can't do it, just can't play because the weather is so bad. So when we get to combine time and we talk about the nine inch hand guys, mm. there are th- these are the games we have in mind. There's like a game or two a year where it's like completing beyond a screen pass is a challenge. But there must be like there's another there's a missing element somewhere along the line, right? Because the difference in hand size between 9 and 9.25 can't be the difference between Jared Goff and Patrick Mahomes. There's something else at work where like as soon as there's moisture in the air, Jared Goff can't hold a football. We're just like Patrick Mahomes at no point ever seems like he's likely to lose grip on the ball no matter what he's doing. And he's often doing truly ridiculous things that Jared Goff can't even dream of in a fit of fever. Like what, that can't be 0.25 inches. That's it. There's got to be like nine a, inches is the cutoff. There's got to be like a grip strength element that we're missing here. There's some missing factor that we're not including in this hand size equation. Mason Rudolph played an okay game, played, made some, some nice throws, some, some rough ones in there. But again, it was the inability, his best throws, a couple downfield ones. One did not show up in the stat sheet, but um, the other one was Deontay Johnson fumbling in overtime. Decent throw, gets them across the field to perhaps get into position for the game winner, but fumbled. Um, so Rudolph made a few nice throws in there. And a few, uh, you know, a little up and down for Rudolph. But 16 to 16, and uh, yeah, kind of a missed opportunity for the Steelers in their playoff push here. Well, missed yeah. opportunity for the Lions to get Dan Campbell's first win, but he gets his first non-win, non-loss, which is a step. It, first I mean, non-loss. Yeah, I, I understand that your quarterback, Ben Roethlisberger, wasn't playing this game. On the other hand, it, <laughs> the idea that you can be taken seriously as a playoff threat when you have this game on your resume even knowing that every team tends to have a bad... Like, the Bills losing to the Jags is on their resume. But this was just miserable from the Steelers. Everybody looked terrible. Minka Fitzpatrick, the Steelers fans think is the best safety in the NFL, was just, like, randomly spinning in a circle and falling on his ass rather than making a tackle. Like, he had two or three plays where you're like, what are you doing? Yeah. That's what Minka's done this year. Fumbles everywhere. Like, this entire game was just depressing. Let's just get the hell out of here. Tennessee 23, Saints 21. Thank God. Sean Payton was upset at the uh, negated end zone interception on a roughing the passer call. Rightly so. To Ryan Tannehill. That was a game changer. Um, Deontay Harris fumbling, uh, leading to a Tennessee score. A couple huge plays really turned this game. The the ironic thing, so Trevor Simeon throws, I'm sorry, uh, Ryan Tannehill throws an end zone interception negated by the roughing the passer call which was actually near identical to the play a couple weeks ago against the Bucks, where Trevor Simeon throws a bad end zone interception very bad roughing the passer call that negates it it is um it's not that like well now it's even Mm. it's that 
like football games. People will argue that though. That's the dumb thing about this, right? When you, there are people out there that are like, oh, the bad calls even out, and therefore who cares, right? No, well, I mean they don't even. It had a because... massive effect on the Bucks game two weeks ago. Right. It has a massive effect on this Saints Titans game right now. The refs for like really light roughing calls and weird pass interference calls, they are having a massive effect on football games. Number one, they don't even out, right? And a lot of the times you're going to get a team that gets hosed like over the course of a season versus ones that get all the breaks. Sometimes they even out, but a lot of the times they don't. So that is just simply not true. Secondly, even if they do, they are changing the outcomes of games in a way that is not useful. Like what? That was a seven-point swing in this game. It was a, an end zone interception, and they didn't get it. It was taken off the board, and instead the Titans score a couple of plays later. That is a seven-point swing that is attributed directly to officials. And by the way, the Titans win the game by two. So that is literally the difference in this game between winning or losing for the New Orleans Saints. Yeah. That official, based off what is clearly a horseshit call is the difference between winning or losing the game. The idea that that penalty is not reviewable if it is that powerful in terms of affecting the game is absurd. If you're going to make that have that kind of impact and you're going to empower an official to throw a flag based off a defensive end brushing against the quarterback at the end of the play and changing the outcome, you have to allow them to look at it again. Can this just be, I don't want to get to reviewable though. Because they, they tried this, be. they what tried this. With, they tried this with pass interference a couple couple years ago. It was a 2019. They did one year of let's review pass interference, and all of a sudden it turned into every <coughs> excuse me every pig play. <coughs> yeah, every pig play. They look at it under the booth. You get ticky tacky, you know, judgment calls, and it's a problem. On the other hand, it's still better that they look at it again. Then they just let a guy brush into a quarterback and then take away an interception. You dead yet? Where are those cough buttons? Yeah, I think I'm back. <clears throat> cough button. Can we get a cough button? Get me off camera. This is, this hmm. is terrible. Why, have you ever like delved into the uh, what's wrong with you? Like, why do you just randomly die know. during the course of podcasts every now and again? <sighs> I took a sip of coffee. Yeah. I felt like something was stuck in my throat. Uh huh. Uh huh. And it wasn't good. No. <laughs> At least we're not live. No, that would it's be not... a problem. <coughs> Just needed one good cough. Now we're good. Back on track. This is why we can't compete with Good Morning Football. Uh, they would never do that. You think Peter and Kay would be coughing on live TV <laughs> like this? God, no. Burleson never would. That's why he's on CBS this morning, right? I mean, that's. That would never happen. Yeah, one, it's like the Steelers game, right? You have one of those in your resume. You can't go to GMFB. We're done. You can't go to CBS in the morning. <clears throat> I was. I mean, I'm the tallest guest GMFB's ever had. Wasn't there a dispute of, over that? Didn't they? They thought uh, they thought Dan McGuire yeah. was the tall, but he's. You go to Pro Football Reference and uh-huh. Pro Baseball Reference, right? Dan McGuire is listed at six eight. I'm listed at six ten. Whoa! So the listed height is different, but we're six ten. But you're hmm. tallest good morning football. Your listed height might be. Uh... Yes, I'm okay. The YouTube chat is very concerned. I'm okay. It was like a. It felt like um, the uh, coffee grinds. It just like felt like something got stuck. I don't know why I've got coffee grinds in my. <clears throat> that's what it felt like. Yeah. It just kind of hit. I'm okay. We are okay. Anyway, 
Yeah, that's right. Let's, let's dive right back into let's the thing back. that almost killed Go you. back to the well. Um, this is Carson Wentz switching from the right to the left and I mean, just look, chucking it up. You get right back on that horse. Yeah. I um, may have thrown an interception last time, but, you know. Finish your point <clears throat> now that we're now that you've finished dying. Uh, what was I talking about? The you can't fact- review. You can't make it like, oh, let me let me throw a challenge flag on that on that um, roughing call. Yeah, I would. Why? It's just more judgment calls because then you get this, into why like, is this a problem? The idea that the NFL is trying to remove all judgment from officiating is just stupid. Listen, officiating <clears throat> needs judgment. I just would ensure say you have good judgment. I would say the the judgment. I, I want I want the sky judge. To yeah. be a part of it. I don't I part of it is like I don't want I don't want the coaches to have to waste a challenge. Because that, that rule's stupid too, right? I'm, the I'm idea that a that a coach can challenge two plays yeah. and if he only gets one of them right, he's out of challenge. The whole challenge is system, absurd. The whole challenge system is dumb, but it only happens because we don't have just a sky get, judge slash TMO slash person. They have job a sky judge. Is. They just need to they just they just need to have a bigger impact. Yeah. So when Trevor Simeon gets touched and hit to the ground, when Ryan Tanhill barely gets touched, and you can tell it is just in the course of a play. Like, he threw the ball, and then he got hit. Yes. Throw, hit, throw, hit, and not even a big hit. And that's the other issue here, too, with, with, with roughing in general. It's almost like the impact of the hit affects— It 100% does. It affects things, right? This is why people have talked about, like, well, Cam Newton, because he's huge and doesn't right. feel the impact as much, doesn't get roughing calls or whatever it is. Right. Yes. So we're okay. Well, let's fix officiating right now. We're getting rid of challenges. It's a dumb idea that only exists because your system was broken in the first place. We're giving you the sky judge, which I, the AAF and the XFL are the same thing to me. They blended into one league, and I can't tell which one was different. <clears throat> one spring, of them it's called spring ball. One of them had a rugby style TMO sky judge, who's like the the, tele, the rugby's TMO, the television match official, is a dude sitting there in a booth with all the screens and all the replays, and he is essentially the official in the room with all the TV broadcasts. You don't have to send the guy on the field under a little hood to watch his little iPad and figure out what happened. You have a guy whose job it is to do that in the room and figure it out. So that guy is going to be there for every single game in the NFL and he can buzz down to the official and say, hey, you screwed that up. That is not roughing the passer. Right. Done. Fixed. All right. I'm Agreed? In. Let's do Excellent. it. Excellent. All good with that. That's binding at NFL. We just fixed your officiating for you. You're welcome. So that was the end of the second quarter that happened, the interception. Um, there was also just a bad <clears> – <throat> the second straight week, Tennessee hasn't really moved the ball effectively offensively. And, you know, they've won both games without Derrick Henry. They've moved to 8-2. and two. 29 carries for 66 yards. 54 of which came after contact. Yeah. Adrian Peterson and uh, Deontay Foreman, both under three yards per carry. Jeremy Jeremy McNichols, under two yards per carry on his few rushes. We did mention second straight week against two good run defenses, number one and two, Rams and Saints. That that held true in these last couple weeks. But if you're the Titans, incredible run here to win all these games. I'm a little concerned about their offense now yeah. without Derrick Henry these last couple weeks because they scored on short fields and each of the last two weeks. And they, they haven't scored a lot of points, but when they have scored, it's been on these short fields that have been given to them by the defense. And no Julio Jones on IR again for the hamstring. Um, 
they the Titans didn't have a single explosive run in this game. They carried the ball 29 times, and not one of them was an explosive run. I remember, AJ, AJ Brown had the longest run with seven yards. This is an offensive line that is supposed to be a dominant run blocking offensive line. All of a sudden, you're seeing the impact of Derrick Henry across the board, um, and it's like it's. You're looking at Tennessee now, and they've gone on this run of, what, five straight games of knocking off impressive impressive opponents or high-leverage games or a combination of both of them. And yet, they it's like it's had this really attritional effect of we've lost Eric Henry, we've lost Julio Jones, the offense is sputtering, it's not going the way it should. Like, we are just getting worn down and worn down. Eventually, that's going to cause some problems. It hasn't yet. But it really does feel like we're right on the precipice of this Titans offense just grinding to a halt and eventually losing a game because of it. Yeah. I, <clears throat> another another win. I mean, you take it. If you're the Titans, you're setting up Absolutely. to be the number one seed at 8-2. and two. Um, You also have not the most difficult schedule right. coming up. question is kind of like how long can they hang on without Derrick Henry, without this, Julio Jones? We talked about on the daily. So the New England Patriots have the Falcons this week, and then they play the Titans with 10 days of rest in a couple weeks. That seems like the type of game where if Bill Belichick makes the Titans one-dimensional, and it's like all on Ryan Tannehill. That sounds like you know Belichick versus Dolphins Tannehill, right? That could be could be trouble for the Titans in a couple of weeks. So we'll see um, if they can keep it up. But a good win there. And for the Saints, um, it's not all on the refs. Um, Trevor Simeon plays a good game again. You know, a couple a couple passes that just you know good throws that didn't end up counting for him. Uh, no Alvin Kamara. Uh, Mark Ingram's catching wheel routes and everything. But uh, they Saints fall to five and four. And whether or not you want to completely blame the refs or whatever, I mean, their their playoff hopes are on the line here every single week, and they're playing with a very fine margin with the uh, with the depth in the NFC here. So it's kind of fun. like Trevor Simeon was legitimately fine in this game. Like he was reasonable, and the QB grades across the week, other beyond Mac Jones and uh, Josh Allen, are not great. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a it's a below average week for quarterback play, and Simeon's but, on the higher end. But like people were clamoring for Taysom Hill before this game. Like, basically being like, what are you doing if you're the New Orleans Saints? How can you hand Taysom Hill any kind of contract and put him in there, or put Trevor Simeon in there instead? Like, what? that's just an embarrassment at this point. Trevor Simeon, like, Sean Payton deserves some kind of, like, medal for the work he's doing with non-Drew Brees quarterbacks. And honestly, given what Drew Brees was in San Diego for most of his time, Again, like this is, you know, post Tom Brady, Bill Belichick. Now we got to determine where the balance of like which guy was more important. The balance of the Sean Payton, Drew Brees era, I think, is shifting towards Sean Payton Ooh. as time goes on. And we see the miracles he's performing are, with these substandard leaning, quarterbacks. You're leaning into Drew Brees as a system quarterback take here. I'm just amazed how not terrible Trevor Simeon has looked so far within this Peyton offense. Yeah, but like every backup quarterback, which Trevor Simeon is, right? He's a former starter who is a backup caliber. He's had good games before. He's had two good games before. Yeah. Broncos were 2-0 and with Trevor Simeon at the helm before. Not, not many of them, though. Not many. We'll see if they can keep In fact, it up. Has he even had good games before? You gonna fact check me on this? Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna Has look up. I'm gonna ch- you. It had the air of you know bullshit about it, so I'm gonna I'm gonna take. A I look. will read. Uh, football fans, who's ready to score some free bets? Now you can. When you bet on any NFL game this week with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, new customers who bet just one dollar on either team to score 
can win $100 in free bets. That's right. You bet $1 on either team to score. You can win $100 in free bets when a team scores. You score. That's it. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, DraftKings won't leave you empty-handed. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contests. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF. Bet $1 on either team to score and you win $100 in free bets. If they score, you score with promo code PFF. This week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older. New Jersey, Indiana, Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit. $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. So, These deals are incredible. Please go take advantage before they disappear over at DraftKings. Trevor Simeon does have four games in his career that are graded around about where the last two games have been. Now, they come in two separate seasons um, and have always been separated by at least three games with grades in the 40s. Okay. Nice. So this is already an outlier for Trevor Simeon in terms of, like, career-high performance. All right. So Sean Payton, miracle worker over here. Yes. With uh, with quarterbacks, and if the dude just got caught a break with a ridiculous pass or a ridiculous rough in the passer call, he would have gotten a win. Trevor Simeon against the best team in the AFC, apparently. Washington football team twenty nine, Bucks nineteen. This is one of those games where the Bucks uh, were they double digit favorites. It was up at nine, nine and a half. It was close. Either way, mm-hmm. Bucks were favored by a lot. Didn't matter. Football team. <laughs> Uh, really good. They get up thir- to a 13 nothing lead. It looked like the Bucks were going to make the comeback. And then the, just the drive of the season for the football team to seal the deal. The, uh, it was 23. So the Bucks score a touchdown in the fourth quarter, early fourth quarter, with 11.02 left to go down by four. They missed the extra point. So it's 23-19. to 19. The football team comes back, takes 10 minutes and 26 seconds off the clock, Go for it on fourth and one with uh, 31 seconds left, which is the right call. They're up four. They have a chance to either win it, essentially with a touchdown, or they get stuffed. Bucks have no timeouts left. Brady and the Bucks have to go 99 yards to try for a game-winning touchdown. Either way, Antonio Gibson with the one-yard touchdown to seal it for the football team. The drive of the year, man, to, uh, to seal this thing for the football team. Really impressive win. And this is one of those games where their defense played much better. And uh, Brady and the Bucks not clicking offensively, coming off the bye. A little concern maybe with the uh, the Bucks offense here. Uh, yeah, and and turnovers. Like kept they, this was another one of those games where they got in a big hole early. <clears throat> things weren't going well, and you assume that okay, there's still plenty of time to work with. We we can get 14 points back. We can we can roll, and it just never quite happened. And particularly. That becomes a lot more challenging when they're able to take off like 11 minutes of the, of the end of the game. Right. That was what the – usually when you have the underdog, we talk about this a lot, right? The underdog's up. The favorite starts to come back. The Bucks get within four. Should have been three with the extra point there. And it just felt like, okay, over time, the, the favorite's going to make the comeback. And, you know, if you – and, you know, Mark Schlereth and uh, I think it was Adam Aben, right, his, uh, his partner there talking about, okay – with 10 minutes left, if you're the football team, you want to, you want to take some clock. You want, to, you want to move the ball a little bit. And then you say, okay, are you going to give Brady and the Bucks two possessions or are you going to give them one possession? And then they're just moving it and moving it. And it's like, all right, now the Bucks are down to one possession. Right. Then it got to the point where the Bucks are down to zero possessions left because the football team kept converting 
third down after third down. Uh, really an incredible effort there to just thwart any comeback attempt. So Brady never actually got the ball right. in the fourth quarter with within a score to make a comeback. Attempt, That's the thing. They, they actually got in position to get this game back. And I was like, oh, this game is all of a sudden this game, like the Washington defense have been doing a great job. They picked off Brady twice. Um, all of a sudden you're like, this game is going to come down to Washington's defense making a stop against Brady. And what matters more the first three quarters of this game or the last, like, nine weeks of the NFL season? Like, which is more relevant to whether Washington is actually going to be able to get a stop? And then you're like, oh, <laughs> it turns out there's a third door. Just never give them the ball back. Like, that's how, we, that's how we stop the defense coughing up this game. We just ensure that they never take the field again. So that was really impressive. Um, the first, which was ruled an interception that Brady threw, was one of the weirder plays you're ever going to see. Yeah. Like, throws the ball on, like, a quick hitch, curl, whatever, Rookie to Jalen Darden. To Darden, who sort of turns and starts trying to run away from the dude coming from behind him about to hit him in the back. And in the process of, like, tucking the ball away, gets hit in the back, which sort of shoot, like, means ball just that... pops up. What it means that, like, instead of, like, catching it here and then bringing it in into your body, when he got hit in the back, it changed everything so that instead of, like, bringing it into his body, he just looped it around himself and, like, tossed it up in the air behind him. It's just bizarre. I don't think I've ever seen that. And just pops up, intercepted, and like, wow. That, I mean, it looked like someone had come in and popped it out. Yeah. But instead, it was just they hit him so hard that his own arm, like, looped the ball behind him. So not a turnover-worthy play there. The no. next interception by Brady throws it right to the safety. That was a turnover-worthy play. But that's what was happening early in the game here. A football team taking advantage of turnovers to get up to 13 nothing. And the Bucks never found a rhythm offensively. Brady not throwing the ball down the field. That had been... The Bucks' M.O., not only the Bruce Arians, you know, that's, that's just how they work, right? Bruce Arians' system. Uh, but even Brady with the Bucks throwing the ball, average depth of target among the highest in the league, throwing the ball down the field. No Antonio Brown, no Gr- Rob Gronkowski. Chris Godwin ended up playing just not looking like the same Bucks offense where they are attacking down the field at all. Um, I thought the Washington football team did a nice job taking, taking away some of the deeper stuff, but... Uh, and Brady checked down a bunch to Leonard Fournette and the whole deal, but uh, no rhythm for the Bucks' offense and credit the football team. They got pressure at the right time, not a ton, but on some key plays. And yeah, they, you know, this was kind of what we had expected from football teams' defense throughout much of the season. Well, this is what they've been capable happened. of all the way through the season. It just hasn't happened. Um, lost Chase Young for the season, torn ACL. That's an absolute body blow for them. Although, I mean, you know, they're not winning anything, so. I guess it's a good time for it to happen if it's going to happen. Um, the other interception might uh, for Tom Brady, Mike Evans kind of took some responsibility for and was like, oh, neither of Brady's picks were on Brady, blah, blah. And you can kind of see there's some truth to that in terms of where Evans went versus where Brady wanted to throw, to throw the ball. On the other hand, it's another one of those ones where, like, even if the receiver did exactly what you wanted him to do, the best thing that's going to happen here is you're going to get him killed. Yeah, it wasn't great. He, uh, I think Brady came off his first read, right? Kind of, yeah. kind of threw it back blind over the middle. I remember He's had a couple like, of those over the last couple of years, right? There. And recent weeks as well. And remember, Brady is the dude that was like lamenting the relaxation of the rules or the the changing of the rules to make sort of hitting essentially illegal, right? Any kind of hit over the middle is typically a personal foul now. And he was like lamenting that, not because it's made the game soft, but because it's sort of it's no longer punishing quarterbacks for making these bad throws that get their receivers injured. 
And since he's made that comment, he's had several of these throws that have, would have got his receivers killed had their receiver not decided, you know what? I'm yeah, he's not. just he's playing the rules. But he's like, you know what? I'm not really interested in getting killed today. Thank you, Tom. I'm going to let this one go. Um, also, by the way, remember there was what it, the, the interception where Brady just stands and watches it? And yeah. And you're like, well, it's... Which was the right play, by the way. Correct. On this play, however, he does exactly the same thing again, where it's a very different situation. Yeah, the Saints one that got, like, was all all over social media, he should have stood there because the game was literally over when he threw the pick. But this one is late in the uh, first quarter, and he watches the guy pick it off, hangs his head, and then just literally stands there, like, hands on knees, and just watches it. Yeah, health. The whole way. Not, doesn't even take a step in that direction. Now, so if, if you, we'll talk about Teddy's later, right? But, I'm know, just saying health is in, health is in prefacing the Teddy thing. We we're getting extensive documentation now. Of Tom Brady just watching interceptions head back in the opposite direction. Not only is he not making an attempt to tackle, he's not even moving himself between the ball carrier and the end zone. He's just watching the play develop. Yeah, I would too. I'm just because just keep that energy when we get to Teddy. That's all I'm saying. Well, the. the and, 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 Consistency. The returner did not run right by Tom. You're telling me he would have moved if it had? No, probably not. Yeah. Because Tom Brady playing football next week is more important to the Bucs than the interception return this week. Mm-hmm. Now, Teddy Bridgewater playing next week for the Broncos. Stop. Stop is it. it. Is it the most important thing for the Broncos? I mean, no. it is Teddy. Um, so the Bucs fall to 6-3 and three here. Uh, Washington football team up to 3-6. and six. The Bucs still in the hunt, by the way. Have you seen the graphic? Like the Giants are a playoff contender. Yeah, everybody's in the hunt. Yep. The Bucks fall to 6-3 and three after last week where a whole bunch of teams failed, you know, lo- losing, and, and the Bucks looked like right, they have one of the easier schedules, and there's, they, they have this golden opportunity to, to get to the number one seed. The Bucks just can't get out of their own way. Second straight loss now. Did not come, come out sharp after the bye week, and uh, it's going to be a battle in the, in the NFC for the number one seed. Do you think they even care? Like... Did last week's or last last season kind of teach them that look, hey, just get to the big dance and then roll? No, no. Like, okay, you don't you don't want to go, you don't want to go, and you're unlikely to go the way they went last year, which is wild card. We got to run on the road every week. But like, how much does this team really care about snagging that number one seed versus just get there? Like, if you have to roll through season dealing with a bunch of banged-up cornerbacks, like half your secondary is injured, now you're losing receivers left and right. No, that's I think there is a significant degree to which they are like, it doesn't really matter. Like, once we get to the playoffs, we have Tom Brady and ideally a healthier group of players than we have right now. That's when it really matters. No, that's a good. No, that's a different question, right? uh, Richard Sherman was ruled out just before the game as well. Washington football team was 11 of 18 on third down. They were just just convert. Taylor Heineke made a ton of really good tight window throws, but the Bucks, the, the, the football team kept converting on third down. The Bucks couldn't get off the field on third down. Uh, but I, I don't think the Bucks are looking at this like, oh, we just we'll just have four road games again next year. We can do it again. It was it's a different year too. Like there's actually crowds in these road games and all that stuff. It is. Uh, I think they want to play at home. I think they would want that number one seed, and they get in the Bucks have to play better than they have the last couple of weeks. I mean, everybody wants. Bruce Arians it. called his team stupid. He said yeah. we were a stupid football team. <laughs> Fair enough. His post game comments are always funny. Everybody wants to get the number one seed. I'm just wondering to what extent they really care. Yeah, it would be too, it would be short sighted to say, hey, we you know we 
won it as a wildcard team on the road last year. Let's do that again. Um, anyway, the uh, huge game, huge week for, for the Packers as they go up. They, go to, they win 17 nothing over the Seahawks, and now they're in control of uh-huh. that number one seed in the NFC after that slow start to the year when they got owned by the Saints. Owned. So what would you think of the 17 nothing Packers game? We, we called it the, it's the Rust Bowl, not Rust. Double Rust game. Yeah. Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson. Well, officially, according to the grades, uh, Mallet Finger was significantly more rusty than Rodgers. I would argue nope. that Russ is still probably hurt and not rusty. You, claimed not will, you, you said he was fine. You said he's the third greatest healer of all time after Jesus and Wolverine, and therefore Russ was going to be okay with the Mallet Finger. Yeah, he's still third. He's not the best. Because he had practice. He got out there and he was able to throw the ball to real humans, therefore all was well. I was saying that's he wouldn't be as rusty because he got the people were in the comments mocking you because you were like the dude that sat in his ass doing yoga for a week is going to be rusty as hell but the guy whose finger was in a cast for the last x number of weeks is going to be all good i wonder how he did in his simulated games (laughs) do you think he threw those the ed zone interception in his sim game too when he rolled out to his left i don't know russ was i mean look i they're, they're I liked it in the broadcast. They were they were giving us a rundown of like what Rogers has been doing over the last ten days, isolated with the COVID, and he'd been doing isolated yoga. So of course he was going to be game ready. Yeah, he's ready to go. Because nothing gets you game ready for a football game like yoga on your own in the, in your own house. Maybe that's why he's rusty. Both te- both uh, both QBs trading horrible end zone interceptions, Ridiculous trying to do too much. Very. I mean, it was really, it's not uncharacteristic of Russ to try to make that type of play. Really uncharacteristic. Not that, like, Russ generally takes care of the ball. But Rodgers really takes care of the ball. That was... I mean, the two of them have one of the lowest, like, each of them has one of the lowest turnover-worthy and interception rates ever. And for them to basically go back-to-back trading absurd interceptions thrown straight to defenders was kind of bizarre. Yeah. The, uh, the Packers, now back-to-back weeks... Only gave up 13 points. They've the given Chiefs. up 44 points at home this season. It's in, it's incredible, and and it doesn't it, you know it doesn't look on paper like a much better defense than last year, other than maybe Devondre Campbell stepping up. But they've done a really nice job. New scheme, uh, limiting those big plays. Tackling's been great, and um, you know how much how much was the finger an issue for for Russell Wilson? I think it affected a few throws. Yeah, but. Um, I think, you know, the Packers deserve a ton of credit defensively. That defense, yeah, looks pretty good. Also, another thing that was kind of a big problem for Seattle is that poor old Dwayne Brown is just slowing down. Oh, yeah. So they're starting left tackle, Dwayne Brown. Just remembering historically, the the Seahawks went through a stretch where they had a bottom three offensive line. They went through a stretch where, like, the thing, Russell Wilson being all upset about how many hits he was taking this offseason, there was a time where that would have been an absolutely fair thing to be complaining about. Like, guys, give me some help here. I am getting buried every single play. Come on. And then they went and they traded for Dwayne Brown. And... Dwayne Brown made as big a difference as a single offensive lineman has made to an offensive line in recent memory. Like, he alone transformed the overall effect of that line as much as any single player 
in part. Now, when you say that, it's in part. It's the same thing that happened with Laramie Tunsil and the Houston Texans. When, you're, when, a team, when a team goes from the worst left tackle situation to above average, which is what Dwayne Brown has been, remember it was George Fance coming off like the basketball court yes. playing left tackle, and then Reese Odiambo. Both guys were horrible until Dwayne Brown got there. But that one player yeah. takes your line from like bottom three to you know bottom 12th. So that's what Dwayne Brown had done Yeah, they went from like utterly wretched to being below average. Yeah. Which is huge. Like that's a massive that that that's from like non-viable to viable, which is the only important line to cross, right? Like just go from this literally does not work. You cannot function behind this offensive line to okay, this isn't great. It's not good. We're not in a great situation. On the other hand, we can work with it. That's the difference that Dwayne Brown made. Now all of a sudden, like Dwayne Brown is just looking like a guy who's kind of gotten old because he has. Yeah. Uh, it's just it would be annoying if you're Dwayne Brown. You're sort of watching Andrew Whitworth, you know, a few years still ahead of you, who still looks fine. That would be kind of irritating to me. Whitney Merciless, uh, Bull rushes him in there for a sack. Six total pressures for, uh, for Dwayne Brown. So a bit of a concern for the Seahawks in their offensive line. Now, the Seahawks' defense, I thought, also played well. This was, it's an odd game. It was three to nothing at the half. It yeah. was the lowest scoring first half in the NFL this year. And you wouldn't expect that with an Aaron Rodgers versus Russell Wilson game. But I thought both defenses played well. Both quarterbacks definitely either missed some throws or you know put the ball in harm's way a couple times when they shouldn't have, certainly in the red zone. Um, but I thought Seattle did a really nice job handling the underneath stuff, coming up. And they were hitting hard, man. I mean, I, I, don't, know, I don't know where they're going this year or if it's just too late for Seattle in general. But... I will say, as bad as that defense has looked at times over these last couple of years, this could be the best little stretch they've had of at least you know flying around the football and making some adjustments, not just having the old school cover three, you know, getting beaten by the same concepts. They're playing a little bit better on that side of the ball, but it was just they had no chance offensively. Seattle, so seventeen to nothing, the uh, Packers defense wins the day again. Rashawn Gary hurt in this one; he came out early. But, you know, 81 grade on the season. Breakout year for Gary here in year three. Might not be able to see him continue that going forward. And, you know, the, the Packers, so their defense has been impressive. Um, Rodgers wasn't great in this game. You assume that that's Rust and next game he'll be fine. Um, for them to get a win, huge. Because they obviously stay right in contention at the, at the thick of things chasing that number one seed. Seattle, like Seattle, are kind of dealing with a similar situation in terms of all right, their quarterback didn't play well either. His road back to being what he used to be might be a little bit longer, and they didn't get the win out of it. Like they dropped the game while their quarterback didn't play great, so they're now in a in a hole. It's the NFC, and that that seventh seed is just going to be chaos. So it's not like they're out of it, but they are rapidly running out of um, they're rapidly running out of games they can lose and still come away with that seventh seed yeah so the Packers are tied with the Cardinals at eight and two and here's why I think the the bye is so important in the NFC if the playoffs started today of course um, the Cowboys would have the number three seed they would play the Panthers I believe am I doing this right no sorry the Cardinals Cardinals would play the Panthers in a little rematch we'll talk about that game in a second but the Cowboys would play the Saints that's you know the Saints could easily pull that upset against the Cowboys. The Bucks would play the Rams. The Rams are the number five seed at the moment. So, like, in the NFC, you're talking about your fifth and sixth seed in the NFC. Really dangerous and could win 
these these road games. So if you're if you're the Packers, the Cardinals, Cowboys, Bucks, Rams, all these teams that are in contention for that number one seed in, in the bye, I think it's huge because any of those teams could also lose in the first round. Now you could say the same thing in the AFC because of the depth there and you know who wants to play the six-seeded Patriots or the seventh-seeded Chargers in the first round. Anything can happen there. I do think this year, any year though, the number one seed is more valuable than ever because there's only one and there's not two, you know, there's not two buys. There's only one buy now. So the Packers take control of it and um, you know, they're only they've they've got one loss now with Aaron Rodgers as their starter. So big win for them. And uh what does Seattle fall to? Three, three and, and six. six. Which puts them right there with every other three and six team in the NFC. Yeah, I mean it's it's two, the Panthers actually again, they have the seven seed right now at five and five. So the Seahawks with Russ, a healthy Russ, can go on a run here um, and be right in the mix. You have to jump teams like the Giants, the football team, the 49ers, right. the Eagles, Falcons. They're Vikings. still like it's not over, but they, like I guess to say, they're running out of games that they can afford to lose and still make it. Right. So, uh, I mean, they're, they're also three, three spots from the bottom in the NFC. Yeah. It's the other way to look at it, yeah. tied with the Bears and ahead of the Lions. It, it, wouldn't be a, it wouldn't be an NFL weekend with a tied game without a player subsequently coming out saying he had no idea you could tie a game in the NFL. What? Yeah. Najee Harris didn't know that you could tie a game. Thought he had a whole other quarter to work with. What? Why? I mean, look, they could have given him 16 more carries for 22 more yards, and that would have been enough. But instead, it's a tie. I mean, some guys are just football players, and they actually don't watch the NFL. Like, they're not NFL fans. It I feels like at this point, there should be like it should be part of the rookie orientation, right? Yeah. Like, okay, now you're in the NFL. You're getting paid to do this. You need two feet in for it to be a catch. Yeah. And if and the if game it's a tie game right. at the end, here's if the game ends at the it. end of overtime. It's a tie. You don't have another quarter to work with. Here's how our overtime's going to work. Right. Here. We got there's like a five. You know, somebody puts up the uh, the PowerPoint presentation. There's like five. Here are the five things that are different between college and the NFL. And tie games are a thing. Is one of them. One of the bullets at the bottom. Everybody should know that. Now you go on with your business. But instead, every time there's a tie, there's at least one dude comes out and is like, "Yeah, I had no idea." Yeah, because I thought it was just Donovan McNabb. You. All right, Minnesota Vikings 27, Chargers 20. The Vikings, man, they did not let the Chargers back in. When they needed to seal the deal, fourth and short runs, Dalvin Cook converts. Uh, Kirk Cousins, another another good couple turnovers early, or turnover-worthy plays at least early. Tried to throw an end zone interception to the player. Uh, but Well done. The uh, I'm, I'm on that right now. Uh-huh. But Cousins playing another pretty clean game. And Justin Jefferson, after a couple quiet weeks, just takes over, man. I still think he has this in him every single week if you want it. Justin Jefferson, uh, uncoverable in his, uh, on his best days. Yeah, it's funny. So the end of this game was like this idea, the Chargers run defense. You remember the idea that like the run and shoot went out of vogue because when you got late in the game and you were trying to run the ball to eat the clock the way Washington did, you couldn't do that. Yeah. So you would turn it over because you would try and run the ball. You wouldn't just play the run and shoot consistently, which would have been a way of stopping that being a problem. You know, Hey, we can't run the ball to eat up the clock, so how about we don't try and we just keep putting up points the way we've been doing the rest of the game. Yeah. Anyway, the fact that they couldn't run the ball was why that, that goes out of vogue. The, the Chargers inviting everybody to run because that's a less efficient way of playing and therefore not really having any kind of run defense, all of a sudden becomes a problem when you need to stop the run late in the game in order to get the ball back to have a chance of winning. I mean, 
they I mean, just they're couldn't inviting stop people, the but they also they just don't have good. Well, that's what I'm saying. So they're either. inviting people to run the yeah. ball, and they don't have the players because they don't want to invest in it because they're inviting people to run the ball. But there are times where you need to be able to stop the run, and the Chargers didn't. They couldn't do it this game. Yeah, I think it's a huge point, right? They have they have not had that personnel. They have not had that defensive line personnel for a while. So. Um, just a hammer at home. I do think this offseason, a huge one for the Chargers in that department, just like they spent all offseason trying to fix their offensive line. Maybe it's the it's the interior of the defensive line that they're looking at this offseason because, uh, again, I, I do think run defense is valuable because there are these plays, whether it's third and short or just you know the fourth quarter when you do need to make some stops and have guys just win, uh, win blocks, right? And, and the other part of it is if you're going to play with lighter boxes – you need guys even more so that can win blocks because they're you're you're not going to be able to protect your linebackers as much, right? So you need good linebackers, you need good interior defensive players to play the run, and the Chargers just don't have that. And I think you know a couple times this year it has it has caught up to them. The uh, Vikings are the only team in the NFL that has held a seven point lead in every game this year. Incredible stat. And they're up what four and five now, up to four and five. Very much in the mix in the nfc yeah the vikings feel like that they, they would be the scariest one that gets in right because uh they're cousins, definitely a team cousins having a career year with a lot of just, potential yes and cousins just not missing a ton of throws he was under pressure yesterday a bunch and they you know he was still making a bunch of throws bad fumble the uh, other than he had a bad fumble red zone near interception other than that just continues to throw the ball as accurately as any quarterback in the league right now um, but then again, defensively, the coverage unit for the Vikings, you know, they're they've been stifling, uh, you know, this after the a really slow start. Eric Kendricks, another incredible play. What an interception he had! Just you know, turns and runs with the defender, kept, you know, finds the ball with Keenan Allen. Yeah, right? so this fantastic. is like it was incredible. That was the game. You a lot of the times in the NFL, it's offenses are trying to find you know clear mismatches and it, it's just an automatic it's you know like an auto retweet when you see a certain person like this is like an automatic throw the ball you see keenan allen going across the field with a linebacker turning and running with him in coverage like you're not even thinking at that point you're just putting the ball in the air because that's that's the jackpot in terms of what you're looking for in offense but the linebacker in question is Eric Kendricks, who was able to both turn, run with Keenan Allen, and find the football and pick it off. Like, it's ridiculous. There's, he might be the only linebacker in the NFL that can consistently make that play. Um, he was, he's been fantastic, A, this season, and was great in this game as well. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those plays that when you watch it on the TV, all you really see is the ball arrive in tight coverage, effectively to Eric Kendricks, right? And you're like, ah. But when you watch what actually happened on the play, you're like, that is an incredible coverage play by the linebacker. Yeah, really was. Um, and I, I think overall, this game, when we talk about how dangerous Minnesota is, the, the, past, the past defense is starting to look more Zimmer-like, right? So that's, that's keeping them in games, right? They're in every single game. But you have the Justin Jefferson factor, man, I think is, is as big as any of them, right? I mean, the, when we talked about what the Browns hoped to get from Odell Beckham, was this like this type of game right where maybe you know Adam Thielen's fine and, and whatever but you just have a number one receiver that in any given week can take over just like a Derrick Henry in any given week 
can make up for a lesser passing attack or whatever it is, even if it's three or four times a year. Um, Dalvin has shown that he could do that as a runner. He hasn't done it as much this year, but in the like last year against the Packers, he did it, right? The Vikings have these offensive players that can just take over games, and as long as Cousins is you know making decent decisions and getting the ball down the field to them, uh, it makes them very, very dangerous. The Justin Jefferson dynamic is interesting, though, because like last week didn't get – didn't see the ball much at all, and like Zimmer was like, "Yeah, we need to we need to get him the ball yeah. more." So all of a sudden, you see like a fourteen target game, and he comes up with or, sorry, an eleven target game, um, nine catches, one hundred and forty three yards. But like, yeah, he there's no reason that can't happen every week, except that's not really how this offense functions. But it does feel like if you just there are there are teams that are good enough where if you are force-feeding one player that degree, it probably is not maximizing the efficiency Like, um, and, and actually potentially makes you worse. The Vikings, I think, are not that good. So if like their best, their most efficient offense is probably force-feeding Justin Jefferson, giving Adam Thielen the targets that Justin Jefferson opens up by being force-fed, and then offsetting that with some runs with Dalvin Cook. The end, right? Yeah, they're like the other targets you're giving people are probably not worth just giving Justin Jefferson another shot to make a play. And honestly, that should be like their default position from here on in. Let's just get this guy at least 12 targets a week and see what happens. Yeah, I'd I'd be all for that, man. I I think that's what I think that's the way Minnesota should be playing. Uh, Any concerns with Justin Herbert? He's coming off of a Really great game against the Philadelphia Eagles, taking all the underneath stuff, which we had talked about before, but not that you would take out that game. Um, the Eagles seem like a different dynamic that QBs are going up against. But, you know, not so good game against the Ravens, okay against the Patriots, okay against the Vikings. Bit of a, other than one game, Justin Herbert, a little bit of a downturn here as the Chargers fall to 5-4. and four. Uh, I mean... A re, like a, an okay game against the Mike Zimmer defense, an okay game against the Baltimore Ravens defense. Um, I like his last okay game was earlier in the season against the Cowboys defense, which has those games where it's really good. Yeah, his three meh performances have all been against pretty imposing defenses that you can, whether or not they're like great over an entire stretch, you can. They're all good enough in a single game to cause any quarterback problems. So. Outside of that, it's like consistently excellent. So I'm not my concerned. My little, not even concerned, but I would say yeah, his big time throw rate. He's got one big time throw in each of the last four games. This is in, in last year. This happened too, I was right? Say, like, like that. For as much as for as much as Justin Herbert in your brain is a guy that like makes these incredible big throws, you know, absurd passes every single week. He's never actually made that high a rate of them in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, last year was a higher rate. I mean, it was 1.5% higher last year than this year. And well, last what? year, it did feel like he had more. Right. Um, I'm worried average depth of target. It's similar to last year, too, but it's down these last couple of weeks. I, I'm i wondering if Herbert is kind of like what I had said about Derek Carr at, at times and Matthew Stafford at times where, you know, perhaps you've got this guy who can uh, throw a good seam route, can throw the, the cover two hole shot, can make all these throws – and you have to let him unleash them. And, you know, if he turns it over a couple more times here and there, because his turnover-worthy play rate overall is great. Um, I wonder if you just have to be a little bit more aggressive if you're the Chargers 
throwing the ball down the field. If they're going to be forward thinking and fourth downs and you know run defenses overrated and all that stuff, I would be a little bit more forward thinking and letting Justin Herbert flip the field a little bit more. Right? That's what he does. Uh, where are we going here? Carolina 34, Cardinals 10, as expected. Yeah. Cam Newton, MVP. Listen, Cam Newton. Stop. When he's on the field Stop for the Panthers, they, they average 34 points. This year. Against the, the number one seed in the, NF, in the NFC coming into this game. Yeah. Who still were starting Colt McCoy. At quarterback, yeah. Cole McCoy with a 29 grade and three turnover-worthy plays. On oh man, he really did come back down to earth this week huh? <laughs> before getting hurt. Um, this was another one of those games, though. Again, like where look how this game was done after like three minutes. Oh, it was over. Yeah, Cam Newton comes in with a rushing and passing touchdown on his you know, five dropbacks. Those uh, how many total rushes did he have here? Three, three total rushes, two first downs. Um, they want Cam to start. P.J. Walker with an average depth of target under four, so he managed the game Oh yeah, well enough. Managed the hell out of it. P.J. Um, so this game was 17 nothing by the end of the first quarter, and the first three drives that the Cardinals had were all turnovers. Okay, one of them was a turnover on downs, but still. No, they gave the ball back to the Panthers. Right. It was turnover. Or the Panthers got it back. But it doesn't, like, count as they, when they pull up, like, turnovers, you know, in the game, yeah. on the broadcast, it's like two. Now, some well. at PFF would suggest that a punt is a turnover. Sure. You I, at least get to get some field position back with that one. I would argue that's not a turnover as much as a, it's, it's a, a. It's a punt. It's a voluntary. It's a voluntary beque- turnover. It's a voluntary bequeathing of possession to the opposition, you know? Mm-hmm. Like a turnover on downs, you attempted to extend the drive. V-bop. Sure. A punt, you are voluntarily giving them possession. It's different. Voluntary versus involuntary. Um, but anyway, like, so they immediately turn it over. Like, it was like a fumble on, like, the third play, right? Third down, sack, fumble. Um, the Carolina Panthers obviously set up in great position. Uh Christian McCaffrey looks really good as soon as they get the ball in these short fields. And then when they get in the shadow of the goal line, Cam Newton is a literal cheat code for offense. Like, if he does nothing other than provides them a guaranteed first down every time they're in short yardage situations, he's a hell of an addition to an offense. But since PJ is your other option, he'll probably be the starting quarterback and be better there as well. But so they get that, you know, 7 nothing right out of the gate on a possession that Arizona started with. Then... They immediately, I don't think it was three and out. I think they got a penalty in there somewhere. But like four turnover on downs, immediately go nowhere again. All of a sudden, bam, 14. Uh, So now you're just buried. Like you're in a hole. This was a game you were supposed to be potentially winning. And a couple of minutes have gone off the clock. You've done nothing. And the opposition has 14 points. Um, And then they turn over again. Like they were in just such a deep hole right off the bat that the game is gone. Like, at the end of the first quarter, it's game over because you have Colt McCoy as your quarterback. You don't have DeAndre Hopkins. The idea that even if, like, if you're in this hole anyway, maybe Kyler Murray could make some magic happen, you know, when you change the game plan that oh, amount. Sure. But if Colt McCoy is your quarterback and you're down three scores. No, Colt. Just, we're done. We said like, it last we're on, week. We're, may, we're going home. Colt did a nice job. Again, the same thing P.J. Walker did this week, but with much better stats. Colt McCoy threw the ball, averaged up the target under four. Kept the ball underneath. The 49ers defense was not good last week. The Cardinals ran the ball. I mean, 
I think that was the difference, right? The Panthers' defense has been, you know, early in the year, they were one of the league's best. They settled back down a little bit. They're still a very good defense, the, the Panthers. Yeah, ability to create pressure and make plays on the ball. Shaq Thompson's having a great year at linebacker. We saw that again yesterday. So the Panthers' defense is better than what the Niners trotted out there last last week, and it was really tough for the Cardinals to uh, to keep pace once they got into that hole. So once again, Panthers, it, if the playoffs started today, mm-hmm. these these well, these guys would have a rematch today, which would be weird because they played yesterday. That would yes, be tough that would with be no strange. break. Um, but obviously the Cardinals, it's tough for them to hold the fort with no Kyler Murray, with no DeAndre Hopkins. The fact that they went 1-1, one one, including a division game, right. in that stretch is good. We'll see if uh, Kyler can be back. Uh, soon. Yeah. The Cardinals are eating too. They really need him back. And this is one of those injuries where like, remember, it wasn't supposed to affect him at all. And then all of a sudden it's okay. Now we're actually missing a game and then we're missing another game. It's one of those injuries that appears to be dragging on, you know, a lot longer. They're they're at Seattle next week. And then they have the Thanksgiving weekend. The Cardinals have the bye. So if they're going to, you know, there's, there might be reason to force them back. They could effectively end Seattle season with that game. It's a big game. It's a tough. It's always tough going into Seattle. Russ is back another week removed from mallet finger recovery, and uh, even with the bye coming up after that, I don't know if you do want to try to force Kyler back I mean, or not. Remember, if you can, but. Russ is the third greatest healer in the history of of everything. So another week is another like, week of healing. That's like three years to normal people. Another week of healing for Russell Wilson. Nineteen hours of rehabbing the finger. All right, we got one other four o'clock game. Philadelphia Eagles thirty. Denver Broncos 13, another one. Denver last week on the road dominates the uh, Eagles division rival, the Dallas Cowboys, the team that's the number three seed right now in the NFC. Uh, this game, the complete, the complete opposite. Eagles 30 to 13, another game where the Eagles run the ball a ton. Three <laughs> different guys with uh, with 10-plus carries. Can you imagine how different their season would have been if they'd like realized this from week one? Yeah. Instead of like accidentally stumbling into this a few weeks ago, hey, when we run the ball, our offensive line destroys people. How about we just do that all the time? And then, you know, Jalen Hurts can make some things happen off the back of that, but that's like the basis of this offense. Instead, for like the first five, six weeks of the season, it was like Jalen Hurts is everything is going through you. We're, we're never going to run the ball. You're going to be the run threat, and we'll just see how that goes. Yeah. That feels like some questionable, you know, <laughs> game planning. And we are team, you know, pass on early downs and, and, and all that stuff. But sometimes you play to your, your team's strengths. And they've – Jordan Howard's been really nice since bringing him over. And Boston Scott, you know, he, he had some late, late runs and everything. Jalen Hurts carries the ball 14 times for 53 yards, both scrambles plus design. But You're going to dismiss Boston Scott's magic with late runs. Boston Scott's awesome. Good. It's so, so tough to tackle. Can't even see him. <laughs> hides behind the line just it's a really small guy zooms right out uh but when you only drop back you know 24 25 times it does take a lot of pressure off jalen hurts the passer and uh hides some of his inconsistencies um the biggest play of this game of course is the uh, melvin gordon fumble i think it was on fourth down the fumble darius slay picks it up drops it Mm. Uh, were you watching when you're watching that play you're just like Darius listen it's fourth down you got the ball go down I was thinking Darius Slay just just go down Darius Darius Slay is so there's a few defenders when when they get the ball they actually you know this the cliche of oh he turns into a running back right but there's a few of those guys that are like legitimately good at finding space and Miles Jack and making things happen and like actually 
are a threat to score as opposed to just will get whatever's there, you know, in front of them. Darius yeah. Lay's one of those guys where if you give him a little bit of space to work with, that dude's got a real shot of bringing it back for a touchdown. Yeah, well, he did. Yes. Uh, was it 83 yards? Am I making that up? It, it, it felt like 83 long. yards. Might, I mean, there was a point where he ran it from the 17, I think. So what was the actual? Yeah, 83 yards. An actual 83-yard return. Okay. I feel like his fumble, they added uh, – they added the yardage. Well, they probably gave it yeah, to him he from fumbled. the point where he picked it back up. Right? Yeah, because he fumbled and recovered at the 17. Yeah. So he was just padding his fumble return yards <laughs> is what he was doing. Uh, but it was a seven-point game at the time, and, of course, uh, everyone is uh, taking some shots at Teddy Bridgewater for not taking any shots at Darius Slay and letting him run right by him. Teddy business decision. is getting, Teddy business decision. <laughs> is catching crap. I'm not allowed to call Teddy a bridge quarterback, but, look, if no. you want to continue, if you want to continue your career – Look, as a bridge to the next guy, you got to stay healthy. At the very minimum, you can't be complaining about Teddy Bridgewater mailing this one in if you were also complaining about Baker Mayfield injuring his shoulder trying to stop a dude on a pick six, right? Yeah. At the very minimum, let's ask for that level of consistency. Then you get to the discussion of whether you want your quarterback getting involved in that kind of play at all. And... There's our, I, honestly, I don't care. I can see an argument for either side. I can see an argument that the quarterback is the most valuable thing you have, so don't stick your head at a guy who's running full tilt in the opposite direction because you can Baker Mayfield yourself. You can tear your labrum, you can be done for the whole season or playing badly for the whole year. It's just not worth the risk. On the other hand, I can also see the, the argument of it's football, it's a contact sport, you can get injured in any given play, at least get in his way. I, I can see either case. And I don't have a tremendously strong take in either direction. I just ask for some consistency. Keep whatever energy you had for the Baker Mayfield thing with Teddy. I like and that. acknowledge the fact that Tom Brady, every time he throws a pick, stands there in the center and watches the play. Teddy business decision. I like that. Maybe Teddy's problem is that he actually initially moved in the direction of the thing so that it looked worse when it ran right by him and he just didn't touch him. He thought about it? Right. If he'd done what Brady did and just stood there and watched the play, nobody would care. Again, Brady's interception. That he, that well, this whatever this week, this week, yeah. I am team. Uh, because let me let me remain consistent here. Okay. Let, me, let me just give my take here. Let me uh, let me just prepare myself for the mental gymnastics that are about to occur. I'm I'm okay with it. All of it. I, I was a little critical of Baker Mayfield. Okay. So I can't be critical of Teddy mm-hmm. in this case. Now your health. You playing football next week is more important than stopping a play this week I, for multiple weeks. So I was a little critical of Baker Mayfield and other quarterbacks who just don't want to give up on plays and don't want to live to fight another day and stay healthy in the whole thing. And I think I want to remain consistent in that. I think the, the one time when you would – like the Cam Newton fumble in the Super Bowl that he got criticized for, yeah. that's different. Yes. I think that's, that's a lot – there's no health next week. That's also I, – I, I, I mean, we're not getting down this rabbit hole, but that always struck me as a weird play. The whole thing was weird. I'm, all I'm saying is if, if – well, I don't want to break down that play. I'm saying, like, if you're in the playoffs, if you're in the Super Bowl, things are different. Like, if Teddy was in the playoffs right now and he made that play, I might say, you know, go make it. Right. I think as the season progresses, you might make, you might make different decisions. Yeah. And I think that's okay. Now, to that point – 
Baker Mayfield trying to make that tackle against the Houston Texans in week three <laughs> is right. also different. It was about the least consequential play you could possibly try and make. It is different. Like, you're going to win that game. That being you're gonna, said, you're going to win the were, Texans game. They were struggling in that game. They were. Okay, they were. All I'm saying but is. But it's week two. That's a little Texans. different. Like, who cares? To me, that's a little different. The Broncos are fighting for their playoff live, lives. And we might be getting to the point in the season where you might make different business decisions. Yeah. How's but that like, mental gymnastics? There's a, I think there's a difference between you are in the playoffs and are therefore a contending team and the season is on the line here versus your playoff lives are on the line because you're not a good team and are unlikely to make it anyway. They were five and four. Nobody in the locker room is like, man, we're really lucky to be five and four here, you know? Yeah, but this, I like, mean, look, I, you know, the power rankings had us at uh, – you know, three and six at this point. We're five and four. Like, we're really overachieving. I think we're going to regress to the mean. You, yeah, that's what's going on. Going like, through Teddy's this head. week, this week the New York Giants playoff lives are on the line, right? Like it's because yeah. they're bad and they're three and six and they're not going to make the playoffs. Like that doesn't change when you should be doing that. The Broncos would be in first place if they won this game. Okay, but they didn't because they're not very good. They had first place on the line. Yeah. Ish. They're Jeez. also like the third They'd favorite to win the division. Doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. It does. If you're talking about like when you should when you should override the you default how, position of you don't make that play, right? You know how things like, that that's your that's your default start, right? Your starting position when this happens is your quarterback don't make the play unless it's the playoffs, right? Then you're like, okay, so in the playoffs you make the play because suddenly your season is on the line, and then some point in the regular season your playoff lives are on the line as well, so you can kind of make it then. But obviously not in week two because that's silly. But like we're now week ten, and the Broncos are probably not making the playoffs. If it was week fourteen, maybe you make the play. Yeah, because that all of a sudden you're now closer to actually being a contending playoff team. That's getting a little crazy now. We've dissected it too much. So you know how sometimes like you're amazed at how quickly your brain fires through scenarios and stuff. Oh, like that? Oh, routinely, I'm constantly amazing myself with just how smart I am. Yeah. Yeah. No, just like, you know, you hear like a sound and you're like, oh, it could be this, 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 this. And just like things happen quickly. <laughs> so that's like Teddy Bridgewater's brain here. There's a fumble. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to tackle him. But wait, wait, we're five and four. Uh, but five and four sounds pretty good. However, everyone in our division is, is uh, over 500. Actually, we've got the third best opportunity to win the division here. The Chiefs are getting hot and Holmes probably going to tear it up tonight. I'm backing off. So that's like, that's all that went through his head. Like calculating win probabilities and division odds, and we're five and four, but we're an overrated five and four, and we're probably going to end up at five and five. We're already down seven. What's another touchdown in this game? Who cares? Like all that's going through his head, and he was like, "Nope, I'm not going." Seems reasonable. I'm. I mean, I'm this fine is with all. It. This is all plausible. Yeah, I'm okay with it. I, so I final don't... take is you're good. You're good with Teddy. I'm. I'm happy with it either way. If he'd made the play, I would be fine with it. If he hadn't, if he, he just stands there and watched it go by him, I'm kind of okay with that as well. I think I would default. To I the- like. Here's what I like. I like that people, who uh, the the likely, I, you know, you know, when people say, oh, the same people who said this say that, right? I mean, likely a lot of the same people who were very upset that Aaron Rodgers deceived them or whatever it was actually suggested that Teddy should have like a fake flailing attempt. At least fake the flailing attempt, which is which is also deception, right? Let me fake my attempt at not making this tackle. It's the same thing. So he's either all in or he's all out. He chose to be all out. And guess what? Teddy Bridgewater is the starting quarterback next week for the Denver Broncos. Yeah. I mean, my I think my default position would be if you're getting paid to play football, this is part of the game. Just try and make a tackle. Like you're a big human. 
this is you know you're a football player this is kind of part of your gig just no that, that went through his mind too i'm not shot. a big human i am teddy bridge i'm 205 pounds with skinny knees that's still 205 pounds that's a lot bigger than a lot of other people not when darius slay's moving that fast how much does darius slay weigh i don't know 200 pounds right so all right you're bigger than he is it's take me. him down and it was a huge play eagles eagles played a good football game uh, Teddy did not complete 85% of his passes like the other AFC West quarterbacks. <laughs> so the Eagles did a much better job defensively in this one. All Devontae Smith needed to remember that he can moss people at the catch point was to play another rookie. Yeah, Bama on Bama crime in the end zone yeah. over Patrick Sertan, too. Uh, Devontae with some huge plays, playing uh, playing big. Yeah. Quez Watkins for had six, a couple 66. of plays, dropped one that dropped would have been one. another touchdown. Yeah. The, the Jalen Hurts thing is interesting, though. Um, uh, Jim Nagy was making this point that, hey, the Eagles are still on course for that three ridiculously high first-round draft picks, and right now none of them are going to be better than Jalen Hurts is at the moment. Like Based yeah. off the way the college season has gone for all the prospective quarterbacks that we expect to be in the first round of the draft, none of these guys are clear upgrades over Jalen Hurts. The Eagles have positioned themselves for this draft to have all the ammunition in the world so that if Jalen Hurts doesn't look good, they can go draft the next guy. They can draft the franchise due to the top. Right now, you're looking at three first-round draft picks to essentially go wherever the hell you want, and none of them are obviously better than Hurts. I think they're in position to roll with Hurts for at least two years, take advantage of your... So part of the advantage in the NFL is first-contract quarterback. You don't have the fifth-year option on Hurts. He'll have two more seasons on a, on, a, on a rookie contract. It might be the play, is to say, with Jalen Hurts, with what he brings as a runner, um, he's been inconsistent as a passer, but he still you know gets there. You use the three first-round picks. It's going to only be two, right? I mean, Wentz is not going to be a first-round pick. Why not? Because he's probably going to play the rest of the year. That's why it will be a first-round pick. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm just thinking backwards here. So you're probably <laughs> going to get three first-round picks. You use them to just build your stack up your roster around Jalen Hurts, and part of the, the strategy might not be like we have to draft. We spend a ton of time saying you got to draft a guy, you got to draft a guy. In you know even this year, it, Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, like these guys aren't locks necessarily. So you know what you have in Jalen Hurts. You have two years to try to win a Super Bowl, or whatever, make a run with him on the rookie contract, take advantage of those first-round picks, and build that roster back up. That might be the play I mean, for the Eagles. You end up in a situation where you're either doing that, well, okay, in an ideal world, there would be a superstar quarterback that we draft with these three first-round picks, and that's our guy, but we, you don't see one. So what if we took the three first-round picks and added them you know, I just added players to a roster that has Jalen Hurts at quarterback. The other alternative might be, all right, if the draft is is no longer an option, what will three first-round picks buy us in terms of a an already established NFL quarterback? So is a Russell Wilson an option this offseason? Yeah, that was the other thing I was going to say. Is an Aaron Rodgers an option? Is a Deshaun Watson an option once his legal uh, stuff has worked out? I, there's got to be a better way of phrasing that. Like, once Deshaun Watson becomes a quarterback that teams are not even teams, once Deshaun Watson is either guilty or not guilty of sexually harassing, assaulting, and doing whatever else to a bunch of different women, uh, he potentially becomes a starting quarterback option going forward. Um, so I wonder if they take essentially the draft capital that they built up and instead pivot it to an already established NFL entity. I, I absolutely think the reason to build up draft capital is to have those options is to say, you know, Malik Willis or Sam Howell or Spencer Rattler before he got benched, whoever could develop into this guy that we want to draft, 
or we now are in the best position to get another top quarterback in Aaron Rodgers, whoever could be out there to make our run. So I think the Eagles are in decent position there. And the better Hurts plays, I don't think it makes it worse for them. I think it's it's fine because he's maybe he's not a bad fallback option because you can win a couple different ways. Uh, we have one more game, right? Sunday Night Football? Yep. The Chiefs are back, baby. The Chiefs are back. 41-14 over the Las Vegas Raiders. Very old-school feel to the Chiefs' offense. However, how much of this was the way the Raiders played them versus what other teams had done? Did the Raiders just come out of the game plan that had uh, thwarted the Chiefs in recent weeks? I mean, they didn't come out of it. They just didn't go near it. Like, this was the thing. Going into this game, you're like, here's the, here's the decision the Raiders have to make. There is a clear and defined blueprint to slowing down and frustrating the Chiefs' offense based off the last several, based off this season. You play a lot of too high cover four, cover six. You flood coverage with defenders. You take away the deep shot, and you make them go on methodical, boring drives to score points. And Patrick Mahomes apparently told the Sunday Night Football guys, Chris and Al, that it's not in his nature to play that way. Like, this is part of the thing. He, like, which is a genuinely interesting thing to put out there in the public world, right? You effectively have said, this is my weakness. I do not play the game well in this way. And by the way, that's the way most teams have forced me to play this this year. I thought that was kind of an interesting thing to put out there. But he did, and essentially confirmed what everybody else has been saying, that you frustrate Mahomes and that Chiefs offense by forcing them to play the game this way. But it involves playing with these two, four, six um, shells, these two high safety looks. And going into this game, the Raiders played more single high safety than anybody else in the NFL, effectively. They play 80-plus percent of their plays with a single high safety. Yeah. So you say, well, do we go with the plan that's working for everybody else, or do we go with the plan that's been working for us so far, but in theory is a much weaker way of playing the Chiefs? I theorized going into the game they would stick with what they knew, and that's exactly what they did. They played... Uh, what do we got here? 44, 57. I six, six passing snaps against two high. Yeah. For Mahomes. Right. So against they, cover two, four, or six. Right. Essentially, they played the same thing. They went 80% of their time with their single high safety. They showed the Chiefs exactly what they'd shown everybody else so far this season. And all of a sudden, the spaces that have not been there for Kansas City's offense were back again. Now, that doesn't mean that everything was perfect. Like you, were, it, it still felt fragile. Right? It still felt that the Chiefs' offense was only ever like a, a mistake away from struggling again. Yeah. But the Raiders just they didn't make it hard enough for them to do that. So the Kansas City could keep putting up the points. And then the other side of this is the Chiefs' defense was really good. And the Raiders, for the second week in a row, third week in a row, just didn't look like the same offense. They struggled. But you have to look at this as just a bad coaching job. See, I don't know... I don't know if that's necessarily the case. Some teams just aren't built to do that. So, um, and someone someone mentioned in the comments, I think on our preview show too, that like Gus Bradley had had some success in previous years when he was the chart, you know, with the Chargers against the Chiefs. So it is just if you are when the teams that run the Seattle cover three, the benefit of it is running it over and over and over again, repping it. You see all the you see everything. When you hear Richard Sherman break down the plays, you just you know it and you know how to. You know how to cover it. You know who's carrying what and the communication, the whole thing. The benefit is the simplicity of knowing what you're seeing. 
This reminds me of a couple years ago. Remember the Steelers? Remember Brady and the Patriots would just yep. crush the Steelers all the time. The Steelers are like, that's it. Buck stops here. Mm-hmm. We're playing man coverage. We never play man coverage, but we're doing it. And that didn't work. They got absolutely. I still think it was the right call, though. They got absolutely destroyed. They they because they didn't know. I remember talking to when Zach. This is when Zach Robinson was in the company, and he and, and we were going through. Okay, what are the challenges to playing man coverage? Well, as soon as you take a back and you throw them out wide, and now it's it's how do you adjust? How do you communicate? Who covers whom? What happens on switches and all that stuff? And if you're not used to doing that, there's problems. You and I were talking last night too. The other part of this is Jonathan Abram, yeah. who was the inverse of what had Daniel Sorensen had been, or this you know the the proxy for what Daniel Sorensen had been for the Chiefs, right? Attack that guy. Mahomes tried to throw a pick to Jonathan Abram, and he allowed it to be a 30-yard touchdown. He was targeted nine times, nine completions for 127 yards and two scores. Okay? Which for a safety is like catastrophic. Which is ridiculously tough to do as a safety, yeah, to be I, that target. I, I but did. what if, really quick, what if Jonathan Abram is your split field safety? Right. What are you going to do? He is a box safety at best. He's not even a good box safety when it comes to coverage. He hits hard is what he does. Um, but he's not a good coverage player. He had an absolute bullseye on his back. You don't either have the personnel to do this or you just don't have the capacity. Like, that's just not what you do. You got to stay true to what you are. I did tweet out that, like, the, the Raiders have this choice to make. You know, do you go with the game plan that works versus the Chiefs, or do you go with the game plan you've had uh, that's been working and they went the wrong way? And then immediately after that, Mahomes essentially throws the ball directly to Jonathan Abram, and he gets mossed in the end zone for a touchdown by a backup running back. And you're like, on the other hand, how much do you really want to put that guy in coverage every single snap? That being said, like, where is it written in stone that Jonathan Abram needs to be on the field for you? No, he doesn't. Like, Jonathan Abram, ha, 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 ha. Ha ha Clinton Dix is on this roster who, okay, he's one of those players that coaches don't really like because he has the habit of doing the Teddy business decision, but, he, but he's a safety, so it's a bigger problem. True. But like he's, the dude's a good coverage player. So how about we just take Jonathan Abrams' ass off the field and ha ha Clinton Dix is our half field safety. You're telling me that's not possible? And Trayvon Merrick is good. I mean, he's the guy right. on the other side. Who so all of that. a sudden you have two really good coverage safeties, one of whom doesn't really care about tackling too much why not do that no i get it like i understand if you need to play jonathan abram as one of your half field safeties you might have some pretty significant problems covering anything and here's why but these there's things, nothing that says that needs to happen the reason why these things are problems is you don't have the horses to cover travis kelsey one-on-one or to cover tyree kill one-on-one we saw tyree running free quite a bit again he didn't have the uh, Mahomes missed a couple big throws as well. So Mahomes finishes with 400 yards and five touchdowns. Still did not have a great grade in this game. Left a couple throws on the table. Got away with uh, what should have been in probably two interceptions. He he throws one underneath that should have been intercepted, was dropped. He throws a before the Jonathan Abram play. Throws a bomb that was a dropped interception. The next play kind of throws it right to Jonathan Abram where Darrell Williams goes up and mosses him. For the touchdown. I'm just saying, this was another game where Mahomes took the underneath stuff and did a great job in that area, other than the one misread underneath. But when he went down the field, missed a couple throws, one or two nice big-time throws in there, too. It was an up-and-down game for Mahomes, but this also felt like the turnover luck reverted back 
for the Chiefs in this one. Tyreek was running and just dropped the football, and it bounced right back up into his hands on one. Mahomes had two dropped interceptions. Yeah, it's 41-14, to 14, but you've been talking this whole show about, yeah, well, you know, how does one or two plays affect things here? One or two of those turnovers at least makes it a little bit tighter before the, uh, the Chiefs ran away with it in the end. Yeah, I, I, I do think that, like, as much as we're, this is going to be treated like, oh, the Chiefs offense got right. And maybe, maybe it is. I mean, I said last week that the Chiefs offense feels like a, a soccer striker that's going through a goal drought. And the, the, the cliche of all they need is a goal. You just need one, and then the confidence is back, and everything is it, – it eradicates the slump in one goal, right? It does kind of feel like the Chiefs offense could easily be right back on track based off one game. You just come out of this one game feeling good, the deep shots were there, you, everything worked out, and no longer are we, like, worried about what happens when we're forced to play ugly again. So even if next week a team comes out with the too-high look and the, the frustrating game plan – all of a sudden, they, they're not playing with that, like, looming specter over their backs of, like, oh, we, like, we can't do this. We can't execute a 12-play drive without turning the ball over. This is only ever – this is just on our way to disaster. We need to press for the deep ball. Like, it might well be that the Raiders just fixed the Chiefs and the rest of the NFL is going to be really mad if that's the case. But it did, it did feel all the way through the game that we were, like, this was actually still on kind of a knife edge in terms of – one mistake and the Chiefs offense could easily go back in the tank. Yeah, and even coming out of a game where they, they scored a ton, guys were getting open. Um, also have to mention, the as the YouTubers reminded us, Deshaun Jackson fumble, man. I, what the heck happened there? Deshaun Jackson gets behind the defense, as he tends to do, mm-hmm. catches the deep ball, and then uh, Rashad Fenton's about five yards behind him, and instead of running away from him, you know, toward the end zone, which counts for six points, he yeah, decided yeah. to run back into Rashad Fenton. Who uh, and then you know, force I mean, fumble. I'm not a coach, as you know, but if, if I was giving Deshaun Jackson feedback in that play, I would have suggested that when he caught the ball, he continued to run towards the end zone for a touchdown. Yeah, and instead of and not just sort of spinning in a circle and getting tackled and fumbling the ball away. It's a I radical. Was, it's a radical coaching point. I but. definitely would have focused on don't. I I would emphasize turnovers. Yeah, avoiding them on offense achieving them on defense that's what i would do i mean as a coach. i, I kind of get why he catches the ball and then determines that the dude running at full speed like he's had to slow down and catch this ball the guy running at full speed is going to catch him before the end zone but i don't understand why that then required him to like stop spin in a circle and get tackled like just cut hard away from the guy and maximize the amount of yardage you're going to be able to pick up before you get tackled like players do that all the time just change your angle that you're running at and he will eventually track you down but like i i don't understand what he did yeah me neither there was also so Derek carr's uh, interception too that he threw to daniel Sorensen. it was almost like we've been joking you know just fine fine Sorensen, right yeah that felt like a play where he was like i listen to the pff nfl podcast i know I need to target Daniel Sorensen. He was staring him down the whole time, and he was under a little bit of pressure, and he was like, no, I'm going to do it. I'm going to attack Sorensen. I'm going to get there. And he threw it. He's getting hit while he's throwing it. He kind of knows he's going to get hit while he's throwing it, pops it up, and Daniel Sorensen with the redemption I don't interception. Know, I don't know that I've ever seen a pass before have that trajectory. It's like, you know, most passes, it's like a seven iron, you know, just, just, there's enough of an arc on it to make yeah. it deep down the field, but it's not ridiculous. This was like a sand wedge where it just went straight up in the air, straight back down again into Daniel Sorensen's flop shot. Yeah, yeah. Like, just nothing but wedge. 
straight up, straight down, right into the uh, welcoming arms of Daniel Sorensen, who didn't drop it. Hmm. No, he didn't. He had one later. Do you see the one Carr had later when he got hit under pressure too? It was like a, it was like a punt that just landed in the <laughs> middle of the field. With, luckily, nobody was there. But um, I mean, second straight week. The there was a couple big plays in there for the Raiders, uh, mostly from Brian Edwards, and then the Deshaun Jackson one. But you know, they were just not as not as good as they've been in recent weeks. A little out of sync offensively. Do you credit the Chiefs' defense and what they're doing, or are the Raiders just taking a step back offensively now in these last couple of weeks? Only I think, fourteen points. I mean, I, I think you have to credit what Kansas City's defense was doing. It was probably never as bad as it was looking. Like. Earlier in the season, they had a pretty brutal run of going up against really good offenses. So there was a time where their statistics were like bottom of the NFL. They looked like the worst defense in the league statistically. And you're like, well, they're probably not that bad. But then the schedule eased up a little bit and they were still playing pretty terribly. Like, well, maybe. But I think they've started to at least move in the right direction. Again, like for years... Their, their target is different from other teams. They don't need to become a good defense. They just need to not be the reason that their offense isn't able to win games. Now, that's the, the equation may be changing a little bit this year if the Chiefs' offense isn't what it used to be. But even through their struggles, they're still converting first downs at like a record high rate. They still have a really high rate of like points per drive and scoring rate and all those kinds of things. So... In theory, the defense still doesn't need to get good. It just needs to not be a disaster. And this was one of those games where it showed that's the case. Like, they, they've got players that can make plays. Chris Jones is still an impact playmaker. Melvin Ingram is potentially a significant pickup for them. Uh, you know, guys like um, your guy, Legereus Sneed, is capable of making plays. Like we said, they, they've got personnel. Right. right. They've got enough personnel. They were, they were an average defense last year with Spags. They were an average defense. It's not crazy to think that they were going to get back there and not be as disastrous as they were early in the season. That's and also, what done. this was one of those games where you know all the all the little personnel moves we've been talking about that could potentially make them better happened in this game. Like uh, Juan Thornhill had forty nine snaps versus Daniel Sorensen with twenty four. Now, okay, Daniel Sorensen caught the interception that dropped in his lap, but the point is that ratio switched right from being all Daniel Sorensen to being all Thornhill with some Daniel Sorensen mixed in there like little moves like that are I think pretty significant Willie Gay had more snaps than Ben Neiman like these are moves that should in theory be upgrades for this defense in the long haul uh, Chris Jones also more more snaps on the interior still still lining up wide I don't understand why they're ever lining up wide I mean I don't mind it as a change up you know, you but what do is that. it doing for you? It's creating other mismatches. Like if you have Melvin, if they had Melvin Ingram playing like off-ball linebacker, rushing up the middle, and all that stuff. I mean, if you're going to create other mismatches in other ways, that's fine. Like we've seen guys like Indomik and Sue, and um, who was on with uh, Muhammad Wilkerson back in the day. Remember, he, they would they would be like mm-hmm. edge rusher, edge rushers. They would put quicker guys on the interior, and they would compress the pocket. And the I mean, you can mix that up game plan wise. But if you're expecting Chris Jones to be a down after down edge rusher that's that's you know missing the point it just doesn't feel worth it like even i mean you saw yesterday you plug him inside and even when he's not getting pressure he's sticking his hands up and batting the ball down like he's not doing that from an edge rusher alignment like just leave him in the middle where he's one of the most disruptive impactful players in the nfl and just figure out edge rusher elsewhere it's just not 
I just don't. I think overall, <laughs> it's always going to be a net loss, even if you're using it as a changeup. I just think there's less chance of that. There's less chance of somebody making a play when Chris Jones is on the edge than there is when he's inside. Anyway, what a difference a week makes. The Chiefs are back on top of the AFC West. Yeah. And uh, looking better offensively, looking better defensively. Huge game against the Cowboys next week. Looking forward to that one. Chiefs, Cowboys, and uh, yeah, a lot of stuff happens every single week. That's why we talked about it for over two hours. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. We'll be back on Wednesday. What? You really are in a rut with the old intro actros. Yeah, we're going to have to work. We're just drowning over here. A lot of stuff happens. The football happened yesterday, and we just discussed it. We did. We did. Uh, PFF, uh, what's the what's the promo? Thank you. <laughs> right there. NFL pod. Why don't you take it out? I'm going to go work on my game. Yeah. Intros and outros. Wednesday. <laughs> You guys tune in Wednesday because I'm going to have. You're just going to sit in front of the mirror for the next like 24 hours hitting the uh, the intro and the outro. Yeah. It's, really. like, it's like going to the batting cage. Right. Or the, the, you know, the, the court. Three, just shooting, three fro- shooting free throws just for the next 24 hours. Yeah. Just get yourself back in the groove. I'm going to work on my intros and outros. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to nail I'm going to nail transitions. Oh, yeah. Those have been all right. Yeah, no. It's Manscaped just, read. It's, it's just, just your intro and outro. Just in and out. Yeah. Um, so creep back to an average, average first is what we want to do. Right. We're going to tune in Wednesday. Just don't fall over your own feet. That's what we're shooting for. Yeah. Tune in Wednesday. It's going to be a great intro-outro day, and we'll, uh, we'll talk some more NFL stuff. Excellent. Yeah. Well done. Still in a slump. <laughs> NFL pod, 25% off. Go get it. Grades are coming in. See you on Wednesday. I'm out of here. Yeah.